Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission regular hearing for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. To enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live and we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. Uh, and I'll take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons participating via WebEx, you'll need to raise your hand when public comment is called for the item you're interested in speaking to. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2487-758-1058, and then press pound. You'll need to enter the password, which is 0216, then press pound. Uh, you'll need to wait for the item you're interested in speaking to and for public comment to be announced. To comment, you need to enter the queue by entering star three to raise your hand. Once you've raised your hand, you'll hear a prompt that says you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear the prompt that you're being asked to unmute yourself, to unmute press star six, you must enter star six. When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. I understand SFGov TV is vigorously working to get rid of the star six, so hopefully we won't have to go through all that anymore we, in the we future. We thank them for that in advance. Indeed. Best practices are to call from a quiet location and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those attending in person, please line up on the screen side of the room. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we all silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And at this time, I'd like to call roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Here. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Diamond. Here. Commissioner Imperial. Here. Commissioner Koppel. Here. And Commissioner Ruiz. Here. Thank you, Commissioners. First on your agenda is consideration of items proposed for continuance. Item one, case number 2022-011188 CUA at 1700 California Street. A conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to February 23rd, 2023. Item two, case number 2021-005938 CUA at 276 Grandview Avenue. A conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to March 2nd, 2023. Item three, case number 2021-004066-DRP at 372 Dolores Street. A discretionary review is proposed for continuance to March 16th, 2023. I have no other items proposed for continuance, and so should we, so should we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any of these matters proposed to be continued. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment on your continuance calendar is closed, and it is now before you. Are there any comments or motions? Commissioner Imperial? Move to continue all items as proposed. Second. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to continue items as proposed. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. Some of commissioners that motion passes unanimously seven to zero and will place us on our consent calendar. But before I call the items, Commissioner Diamond, you have a disclosure? Yes, I wanted to disclose to the um, 
commissioners that I have a prior relationship with a uh, lawyer who is a partner in the law firm of Brett Gladstone. Uh, Brett is the attorney on the um, uh, Howard Street matter that's on our uh, consent calendar that uh, business relationship uh, for a personal matter ended about 20 months ago, um, but it's within the two-year period that's required for disclosure. I don't that had nothing to do with this particular matter, and I don't believe it will have any impact on my ability to be impartial. Thank you. Indeed, thank you. Uh, all matters listed here under constituted consent calendar are considered to be routine by the Planning Commission and may be acted upon by a single roll call vote of the Commission. There will be no separate discussion of these items unless a member of the Commission, the public, or staff so requests, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item at this or a future hearing. Item 4, case number 2022-004485-CUA for the property at 221 Main Street, a conditional use authorization, and item five, case number 2022-008234-CUA for the property at 524 Howard Street, also a conditional use authorization. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to request that either of these two items be removed from the consent calendar and considered at today's or a future hearing. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand. Seeing no request to speak, Commissioners, uh, the consent calendar is now before you. <clears throat> Commissioner Koppel? Uh, motion to approve items four and five. Second. Thank you, Commissioners, on that motion to approve both items on consent. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes <coughs> unanimously seven to zero and places this under commission matters for item six, the land acknowledgement. I'll share the land acknowledgement today. The Planning Commission acknowledges that we are in the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramasushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland, and we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Item seven, consideration of adoption draft minutes for February 2nd, 2023. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the minutes. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment on your minutes is closed and they are now before you. Commissioner Braun. Move to adopt the minutes. Second. Thank you, commissioners. On that motion to adopt the minutes, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously seven to zero and places us on item eight, Commission comments and questions. Uh, well, it seems like a routine here. We're lamenting one tragedy after another um, for these last few weeks, but I would be remiss if not just recognizing the shooting unfortunately that happened at Michigan State University earlier this week and being my home state of Michigan and I have relatives in Lansing it just again hit, hit pretty close to home. Um, sadly, fortunately, everyone I know is fine, but just want to um, have a moment just to recognize those victims and survivors and 
I was thinking maybe I shouldn't say something because it's so frequent. And I thought, well, that's the exact point is that we have it happen so much in our country. Don't want to become uh, kind of numb uh, to what's happening. And hopefully we'll have some folks at a different level of government who will take some action to help prevent more tragedies like this from occurring. But for now, our thoughts are with those, those families. And I would just open if there's any other commissioner comments or questions today. Okay, seeing no additional requests to speak from members of the Commission, Department Matters, Item 9, Director's Announcements. Good afternoon, Commissioners. No items from me. Thank you. Item 10, Review of Past Events at the Board of Supervisors, Board of Appeals, and the Historic Preservation Commission. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs. This week, the Land Use Committee heard the long-awaited Article reorg um, that includes many other substantive amendments <clears throat> which was sponsored by Supervisor Dorsey the Planning Commission heard this item on November 17th of last year and voted to recommend approval with modifications those modifications included to one exempt child care facilities and residential care facilities from FAR limits in the RED districts remove the language referencing adequate lighting uh, and the Planning Department's lighting guidelines from the definition of walk-up facility Remove the proposed changes that relax nighttime entertainment controls in various zoning districts. Instead, amend the ordinance so that nighttime entertainment is principally permitted for properties fronting along Folsom Street between 7th Street and Division Street, and properties fronting on 11th Street between Howard Street and Division Street. And then four, encourage the Entertainment Commission to evaluate how to best mitigate the impacts in RAD and RADMX districts from noise and other quality of life impacts related to nighttime entertainment uses that are located with 200 feet of those districts. The supervisor did include all of the Planning Commission's recommended modifications. In addition, they also removed the liberalization of the controls for general entertainment and replaced those with the same more targeted approach for the nighttime entertainment controls. Unfortunately, these amendments were not introduced as a substitute ordinance, so the amendments had to be made during land use. Uh, this required the ordinance to be continued as at least one amendment was deemed substantive. Uh, during the hearing, Supervisor Peskin had some questions and concerns about a few of the changes proposed regarding group housing in the Sally District and the 1,000-foot buffer around adult businesses. Uh, staff will be looking into these changes prior to the next hearing. Uh, the committee's final action uh, were to accept the proposed amendments and continue to the item to February 27th. At the full board this week, um, the ordinance that does the, the exact same thing as the Article 8 reorg, which allows nighttime entertainment um, along Folsom Street, passed its second read. Um, and this week, the board considered the appeal on the uh, imposition of market and Octavia community improvement fees uh, for the project at 245 Valencia Street. It's also known as the Greek um, United Greek Orthodox Church. The Planning Commission considered and approved this project on September 15, uh, 2011 um, as a conditional use authorization. The fees were imposed for the construction of a new cathedral and the impact fees were included in the motion as a condition of approval. However, the city failed to collect the required fee um, at the time of permit issuance in 2013. Construction of the project took approximately 10 years. Uh, the city notified the owner in late 2021 that the unpaid fees must be paid before certificates of occupancy could be issued for the project. 
The church appealed the impact fee, arguing the cathedral was a replacement building for one that had been demolished several years prior and replaced with a parking lot, and that the new building would not have any new impacts since the church community has used the site since 1930. <clears throat> Further, they claim that the project would not increase the number of users on site. However, the planning code views the project not as a replacement, but as a new project constructed on a parking lot. The fee is triggered when there is new construction or an addition of at least 800 gross square feet of non-residential use, and the planning code does not allow for the department level, does not allow for any department level discretion. <clears throat> there are only two speakers at the hearing, the appellant's representative and one public commenter who attends the church and was in support of waiving the fee. Uh, supervisors Ronan and Melgar asked questions of staff regarding why the planning code does not view this as a replacement building and why the fee applies even if the church would not be increasing users. Supervisor Ronan then made the motion to deny the appeal, noting that the planning code would support would support overturning assessment would not support overturning assessments of the fees, and that motion passed unanimously. That concludes my report. I'm happy to answer any questions. Seeing no questions from Mr. Starr, I have no report from the Board of Appeals, but the Historic Preservation Commission did meet yesterday and they took up um, the department's budget and work program and adopted a recommendation for approval. Um, they also considered several uh, legacy business registry applications that included the blue light on Union Street, uh, the Hing Wong Company on Stockton Street, Mr. Bing's on Columbus Avenue, Design Media on 21st Street, Playmates Cooperative Preschool on 42nd Avenue, Love on Hate on Hate Street, Dragon Seed Bridal and Photography on Clay Street, and adopted recommendations for approval for all of these legacy business registry applications. They also heard the planning code amendment for Home SF that you will hear today. Um, and then finally adopted the modernistic styles circa 1925 through 1965 citywide historic context statement. If there are no questions, commissioners, we can move on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. When the number of speakers exceed the 15-minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda. That's no way. Georgia, no way are you getting to me. Good afternoon. Uh, this is for the commissioners and everybody. Uh, I'm Georgia Shudish. Uh, this handout is something I gave out to people, to the commission in March of 2021, but I, I felt like I wanted to give it out again. It's uh, five categories of demolitions, as I call it. And some of those are serial permitting, which we know the famous ones like the Willis Polk House and 310 Montcalm. And, um, projects that didn't have any demolition calculations, and I mentioned 655 Alvarado, which I think is still not, nothing's happened there. It's still an empty lot, and at least it was last I looked, and 21st Street, which I think they built on that, and 49 Hopkins and 214 States, and I think that's the same thing. I don't, I don't think anything's happened on those sites. They're just sitting there. Uh, I wanted to add to that one on Elizabeth that did have a legal second unit 
uh, but recently sold uh, for nine and a half million dollars, and they didn't mention the second unit. They sold it as a single family home. Just to update this list. Number three on the list is the ones that uh, uh, should have been covered by a flat policy and hopefully will be in the future. And I guess at the time I wrote that, 3790, 3792 21st Street hadn't been completed, and uh, you could add that one. Um, and there are some that exceeded the demo calcs during the work and have enforcement actions, and we've seen some of those lately. And um, the fifth one is projects where they don't quite cross the thresholds, the current, the, stand, the existing thresholds, but they're extremely close and very questionable, like the one on Sanchez and Day, which still has not sold the second time. It sold in July 2020 for $9 million, never was really lived in, uh, back on the market for $14 million, and they've dropped it to 10, but it's still unoccupied, it's off the market. And that's a corner lot, and that is one you struggled with, and I mentioned it before, and that's something that probably really should have been torn down, not just remodeled, but anyway. And I'll just add about this fifth category that I, I understand the staff has now instituted um, what I call warning letters, they're really, really close, and um, they say if you if you cross that threshold, you better let us know. And I know there was one just recently in, uh, issued for an apartment, uh, excuse me, not an apartment, a project on uh, a remodel project on uh, Homestead Street that was DR'd last year, but the DR was settled, and you never heard it, as I as I recall. Anyway, so that's the list. I just wanted to update that, and thank you very much. Thank you. Last call for general public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, general public comment is closed, and we can move on to your regular calendar. For items 11A and B, for case numbers 2022-009805-PCA and 2022-011868-PCA for the Home SF Planning Code amendments. Good afternoon, commissioners. Veronica Flores, Planning Department staff. There are two ordinances related to the Home SF program in front of you today. The first was introduced by Supervisor Dorsey, who is represented by Ms. Madison Tam. And the second was introduced by President Peskin, who is represented by Ms. Sunny Angulo today. So I will go ahead and invite them to provide a brief introduction for you, and then I'll, um, I'll return for the staff presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, thank you for having us here today. Uh, this legislation before you, sponsored chiefly by Supervisor Dorsey with Supervisor Peskin, or now President Peskin, being a close partner. Over this past summer, both offices expressed a desire to work together on legislation that, that would expand new rent-controlled units. Supervisor Dorsey himself is a tenant in a building that is subject to post-1979 rent control by agreement. And Supervisor Peskin is, of course, long known for his support of rent control and, and tenant advocacy. We discussed how Home SF is an avenue to allow for more people to benefit from the protections of rent control. As you know, Home SF is our local density bonus program where developers can opt into providing additional on-site affordable units in exchange for relief from density limits and additional height. The Home SF program is underutilized and this legislation is providing an additional option. As we head into the implementation of the six cycle housing element, more options will be a good thing. This new option keeps the spirit of Home SF by requiring on-site BMR units, but goes a step further in subjecting the other units in the project to rent control. 
While today's rent control units are more expensive than today's BMR units, rent control goes a long way in protecting tenants from the vicissitudes of the San Francisco market, allowing families to remain in their units as their children grow up and allowing adults to age in place. The 2020 housing element specifically states that a majority of renters live in rent-controlled housing concentrated in neighborhoods such as the Mission, Chinatown, Knob Hill, the Tenderloin, the Marina, and the Outer Richmond. This new option has the opportunity to bring rent-controlled units into neighborhoods that currently don't have any. In fact, several of the HOMSF projects in the pipeline are in the Outer Sunset, a high-opportunity neighborhood that currently has mostly single-family homes. Commissioners, I hope to have your support on this legislation, and now I'll pass it off to Sunny for the other part of this. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. I'll keep it brief. Uh, thanks to Supervisor Dorsey for his wonderful partnership. Um, I would add just onto what Madison has already said about the legislation that part of what I think we were trying to do or, or recognize with the addition of rent control opportunities uh, and Costa-Hawkins agreements um, for these developments, these smaller developments, is a recognition that ultimately affordable BMR units are, you know, very strictly controlled and regulated um, locally and also at the state and federal level. And rent control is really a way of saying that the market will dictate what rents uh, property owners can hope to recoup. And so, uh, you know, while it may seem like this is a, a, like a whole affordable housing project in one, you know, 100% of, of the units. I mean, ultimately, these rent control units, as soon as they're vacated, the landlord can, property owner can reset the rents to whatever price they feel like the market will bear. Um, as to the second piece of legislation that's before you today, uh, uh, very simple, cut and dry. I think the supervisor's intent with this legislation is really to recognize that our historic districts, of which they're really, you know, kind of make up less than 1% of the city's sort of built environment, very postage-sized, uh, de minimis, um, really should be taken in the context of the whole district and not as these individual projects. And so hopefully you will consider that when looking at staff recommendations, which we, as President Peskin said yesterday at the Historic Preservation Commission, respectfully are, are not um, intending to take up at the board, but appreciate all the staff work that's been done on both pieces of this legislation. Thanks, Veronica. Before Ms. Flores continues with her presentation, these are two separate pieces of legislation that you can choose to take up separately or together when you make your motion, so. Great, thank you, and thank you for being here and for your comments. All right, thank you everyone, and thank you for joining us today. So um, just as a reminder, you all are aware of the Home SF program. It's our local density bonus program. And in exchange for increased inclusionary, the project sponsor, um, receives density decontrol, an additional bonus of up to one or two stories, and they also have a set menu of modifications that they can choose from. I also want to highlight that Supervisor Dorsey has agreed to include some cleanup items as well as an additional zoning modification for reduced private open space requirements, and this mirrors some of the common open space requirements that already exists. So all of these were listed under the anticipated amendment section in your packets. So diving into the first ordinance, um, this would amend the planning code to allow projects under HOMSF to pursue a new path that would provide a new batch of rent controlled units. So in this case, 
instead of providing the increased inclusionary housing of up to 30%, the project sponsor can elect to provide just the required inclusionary for that site and then subject the remaining of the dwelling units under rent control. So through this, they would still achieve the same benefits of density decontrol, um, bonus stories, and um, the option to elect the menu of modifications. The department recommends that the commission approve the, this proposed ordinance with a few modifications. The first relates to amending the legislation explicitly stating that projects with fewer than 10 units will be able to participate in Home SF by subjecting the entire building to rent control under this new alternative. So inclusionary housing is not required for projects um, proposing um, less than 10 units. So in that case, the inclusionary is a requirement of 0%. So all of the remaining units would be subject to rent control. The legislation is silent on this. So we're looking to have that explicitly noted in the ordinance. The second recommended modification is to amend the administrative code to require leases for these new units under this new Home SF alternative path to disclose that the unit is subject to the rent increase limitations of the rent ordinance. Um, again, really this is the first time that we'll be seeing this large batch of new rent controlled units and this recommendation actually came about in coordination with the rent board. So. Um, there is some suggested language in the packet for you, and it's really to inform residents of their rights that they are subject to the rent ordinance, including rent control for these specific units. The third recommended modification is to eliminate the shadow, wind, and historic resources topics from the eligibility criterion of Home SF. So just to emphasize, all of the projects will still be going through environmental review. This is not bypassing CEQA in any means. This recommendation is really to remove these environmental topics from the eligibility criterion, which currently creates uncertainty if a project is actually eligible for Home SF or not. So with the recommended modification, there will be ample time savings for the sponsors where they'll know from the get-go if they can pursue Home SF. And what will happen under this recommended modification is a project can submit a Home SF um, application, CEQA will commence, and then if the project does not meet the environmental screening for the topic, then it will be analyzed for the impacts on shadow, wind, historic resources, whichever is applicable. And then from there, um, if there are significant impacts identified, mitigation measures will be set in place to reduce or eliminate such impact. This is not an option under the code today. Those projects would be precluded automatically from Home SF. But again, it's after all of that time, after all of that analysis, where they are waiting for that determination. Um, additionally, this recommendation also aligns with the housing elements goals of reducing constraints on housing development and is specifically called out in implementation action number 7.2.9 to help streamline Home SF and also increase housing production. The last recommended modification for this first ordinance relates to revising the eligibility 
requirement that precludes a home SF project from demolishing any existing dwelling units and changing this to allowing the demolition of one unit, so just one. When Home SF was originally enacted, the program did not allow the demolition of any residential units in hopes to protect the existing housing stock as well as all of the existing tenants. Um, since then, there have been recent changes to state law that now require all housing development projects that are um, demolishing existing residential units to provide in replacement units with at least as many units that were demolished. And there are also additional um, tenant protections in place. So we are hoping that those will be able to satisfy a lot of the protections that were with the original tent of Home SF. Um, that being said, the department recommends that the current eligibility criterion be amended to allow the demolition of only one unit. And this prevents the demolition of duplexes or larger housing complexes and um, thereby protects more existing tenants. Um, this modification opens up more sites to Home SF and we are particularly seeing this as um, opening up sites along the neighborhood commercial districts where Home SF projects would be in, in keeping with the neighborhood character and the block phase. Um, Supervisor Dorsey has confirmed support of the first two recommended modifications. Um, they haven't come to a firm conclusion on whether they support the remaining two modifications related to eliminating the environmental factors from the eligibility criterion or the demolition of one residential unit. The second ordinance in front of you today would amend the Home SF program to exclude all properties within the designated historic districts under Article 10. And the recommendation is approval with one modification to only exclude a resource that is individually listed on the national, state, or local registers, mm -hmm. or a contributor to an Article 10 historic district, as there are properties physically loaded, located within a historic district, but not themselves individually listed or a contributor. Um, President Peskin was not in support of this recommended modification, but we believe that this will still meet the intent of the proposed ordinance while also balancing with the goals of expanding sites to Home SF. And also today, I do have a revised resolution for you related to this second ordinance. And the first change is related to the recommended modification I just described. The draft resolution in your staff packets noted that individually listed resources or contributors to historic districts cannot be demolished. The intent was to exclude these individually listed resources or contributors from participating, which is more in keeping with the original ordinance. And the second change is related to CEQA. Um, the draft resolution in the packets referred to the 2022 housing element EIR. However, this ordinance in and of itself is not, a pro or not considered a project under CEQA and that finding has been corrected in the revised draft resolution for you. After the packets were published, the department received two letters in support of President Peskin's ordinance and opposing the staff recommended modification related to focusing this to the individually listed resources or contributors, citing protection of the overall historic district character. 
Additionally, you received a comment from the Housing Action Coalition supporting the ordinance that provides a new alternative path for rent control units under Home SF. And that letter also stated they were against the ordinance excluding Home SF from historic districts as it is another example that makes it harder to build housing in San Francisco. Um, these two items did appear in front of the Historic Preservation Commission yesterday. Um, after much discussion regarding the additional height ramifications, both under Home SF and the State Density Bonus Program, the Historic Preservation Commission ultimately adopted a recommendation for approval of both ordinances without taking staff um, recommended modifications. And just one last reminder, there are two separate ordinances for you today, so we will be looking for two separate actions from you. And this concludes the staff presentation. I am available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Uh, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. I have something I'd like to ask you to pass out, if you wouldn't mind. <clears throat> also, I'd like to ask uh, how much time I have. Three minutes. I'll try to be less. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, I'm Stan Hayes from the Telegraph Hill Dwellers. And as part of what you have before you this afternoon, item 11B, the second of your two items, would exclude Article 10 historic districts from the Home SF program. Uh, we agree with President Peskin. We strongly support this ordinance as it was originally written by him. We do not support planning staff's proposed modification that would limit Home SF exclusion to a few select individual historic buildings. The Home SF exclusion, in our view, should apply to the entire district, uh, historic district. A historic district is not just an isolated set of select historic buildings, rather it includes the historic character of an entire district. This is clear in the purposes set forth in Article 10, which calls for preservation and protection, not just of specific structures or sites, but of whole areas as well, quote, providing for this and future generations examples of the physical surroundings in which past generations lived, unquote. We're concerned that staff's modification could severely dilute the effect of this ordinance, risking historic district damage from home SF construction. So what if you built a modern, out-of-scale, out-of-character, high-rise home SF project right next door to a building listed on the National Register? Would it be any less damaging to the surrounding historic district than building on the National Register site next door? And as you can tell from this figure, if you can put it up here, Lisa. You have copies of this in what I handed out to you. You can see from this figure that the cumulative effect of this ordinance on the Home SF program citywide would be minimal. There are 14 Article 10 historic districts. Together, they comprise less than 1% of the land area of San Francisco. And within that less than 1% area, only a small number of parcels would even be affected. This ordinance would have little or no significant effect on the home SF pool citywide. Please support this ordinance as it was originally written and reject planning staff's modification. Thank you. 
Hi, thank you. My name is Fran Schreiberg. I spoke yesterday before the um, HPC, and I'm back here because of my particular interest in preserving the historical zones in San Francisco. I happen to live in a historical area in Telegraph Hill. I happen to own property on Potomac Street, which is one of those little purple dots on your, pay, your handout that you got. Um, I didn't get interested in this until I bought the property on Potomac Street and the fellow who lived next door, um, Harry Nemo, who's now um, passed away, gave me a booklet about our one block long street that had detailed everybody who ever lived there. And it was just fascinating and it's kind of gotten me interested in this whole topic. So that's kind of why I'm here today. And I think the comment that I want to make is that it really doesn't make sense to me. Um, two days ago, I was visiting my daughter and uh, grandchildren on Potomac Street, and there was a big fire a block away. That fire could have been on our block, and if a house had burned down in our historic district, it could have been replaced without, um, you know, with the amendment, with the changes that have been suggested to Supervisor Peskin's uh, amendment. It could have been replaced with something totally out of character in the neighborhood. That doesn't make sense to me. I think you have to look at a historic district as something as a whole and not just little parcel by parcel. So um, I think that this historic, uh, that the historic concerns in San Francisco are important. They're important to our tourism for sure. Um, and I would just urge you to support um, Supervisor Peskin's amendment without the changes that have been proposed by planning staff. Thank you. Okay, seeing no additional members in the chambers, we'll go to our remote callers. Again, you know, you'll need to press star six to unmute yourself. Good afternoon, uh, Commissioners Jake Price on behalf of the Housing Action Coalition. Um, I'll speak on both items. Um, for item 11A, um, as previously mentioned, we are in support of this item. Um, while we do hope that uh, future modifications to Home SF make it a more appealing option for project teams than it is currently, we do believe that this opt-in program is a strong anti-displacement policy that uh, demonstrates how production and protection can work hand-in-hand in, hand in creating a more affordable and stable San Francisco. On item 11B, um, as previously mentioned, we <clears throat> are in opposition because we do not think that we should be restricting the city's ability to build housing and uh, the intent, or not the intent, but the, uh, the effect of this legislation, I think, would, would uh, blunt Home SF's efficacy and flexibility. Uh, with that being said, we are encouraged by the sentiment of planning staff's proposed modification and are um, excited to see where that goes. So thank you very much. Um, I will yield my time. Go ahead, caller.
Caller, I can see you are unmuted, so you had to press star six. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Tarek, and I'm calling in as a neighbor of the proposed uh, cannabis shop. I have lived um, okay, I'm going to hold you off right there. Um, you're going to have to call back and press star three. Well, no, you don't have to call back. You're going to have to press star three again when we reach the cannabis item. Okay, last call for public comment on this matter, items 11A and B for the Home SF Planning Code Amendments. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and this matter is now before you, or these items are now before you. I just want to thank Supervisors Dorsey and Peskin for bringing forward the legislation. Thank you both for being here to speak and answer any questions that commissioners may have. I don't know if any commissioners want to start. I'm happy to jump in, but I want to just open the floor. Commissioner Moore? As I have said many times before, I believe our legislators spend sufficient time talking uh, with everybody to prepare legislation which comes in front of us. Often I appreci appreciate uh, planning department's thorough look and making certain suggestions. In this particular case, I believe that even uh, Supervisor Dorsey at this moment only supports uh, two potential amendments and uh, uh, Supervisor Peskin has expressed his uh, thoughts about other suggestions. The fact that historic preservation weighed in uh, not to amend uh, uh, 11B makes me feel that we should uh, stick with what is in front of us without staff's recommendation and I want to particularly uh, call out uh, Supervisor Dorsey for making suggestions that at this time are extremely appropriate and timely. Uh, there are indeed uh, discussions among planning commissioners to expand, to expand and make, make Home SF more attractive as it stands in contrast to the state density bonus in order to help us uh, find a solution for uh, increasing housing stock but with more locally tailored measures. So thank you to him, and uh, I uh, support both pieces of legislation minus the suggested staff amendments. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Commissioner Imperial. Thank you. Um, so looking into the plan, um, to the planning staff recommendations, I, in terms of the um, 11A, I actually um, approve of the recommendations by the planning department and the fact that there were discussions with the rent board with it. So that's something that I truly appreciate on this. I do have a question in terms of the recommendation number four, in terms of the revised eligibility requirement um, to allow the demolition of one unit. Um, can you explain more in terms of, because we're, I mean, you know, the explanation is that this is more likely in the NCD area. Um, so I'm, the way I interpret this recommendation is that one unit, let's say a single family home, is that the, you know, and that it, there is a home SF project. Is this kind of like the target of that or what? Um, can you, ex yeah. Um, thank you, Commissioner Imperial. Um, with respect to the neighborhood commercial districts, we're really thinking about if there's, um, there's one residential unit kind of tucked behind the commercial storefront that's at the front of the store, but because of that 
sometimes it's a small unit, um, they're automatically precluded from participating in home SF. So that was one of the primary examples that we were looking at. And again, along the neighborhood commercial districts, that works, that's where we're seeing um, there, there could be ample opportunity for home SF. However, just with the existing eligibility criteria and they otherwise are not able to pursue home SF and then um, only build up to developments per the underlying zoning district or um, pursue state density bonus or other programs like that. Okay, thank you. Um, again, for I thank you for that explanation. And I think again for 11A, I do approve of the staff recommendations, all of them. In terms of the 11B in historic, I think I would also, um, actually I would like to hear more the conversation that happened in historic preservation. And it is, um, you know, uh, they are common does way and so I you know in terms of this staff recommendation on this I think I'm ad also leaning adhering to what the Historic Preservation Commission but I would like to hear more what how what's the conversation over there at the yes sure so yesterday there are a lot of questions centered around height the additional height and um, what the Testing. Okay, I think we're back. Um, Ms. Flores, do you want to continue your comments? Hold on, we'll have to. Sure. Hold on, we'll have to have SFGov. Oh, start come us back, back again. On. Okay. Great. Thank you. And for those members of the public watching at home, all of our microphones went out momentarily, and have miraculously come back live. Okay. So. Test. Test. Okay. Thank you. So. Um, I was recapping the discussion yesterday at Historic Preservation Commission. So uh, there are a lot of questions on height. And under Home SF, you can, um, you can reach an additional one or two stories of um, height above the underlying zoning district, and that's the maximum that you're able to get. And the number of stories depends on the rate of inclusionary that your project provides. Under state density bonus, it can be two stories, it can be three, it can be four stories. We don't know how many stories that they will pursue and we also have limited powers in bringing that height back down to the two stories as an example similar to Home SF. So Home SF, um, again, just emphasize there is a cap and 
during Historic Preservation Commission, there, there are really concerns against what this additional height would do to the neighborhood and to the historic character of the district. However, when looking at the two different programs, one has a cap of two stories and that's as much as we can go, and that we have power of even shaping that further depending on the context. The other program under state density bonus program, they can be three, four, they can be higher than the two stories under Home SF, and we have little power to reduce that further. So that is a key difference in between the two different programs. Again, a project sponsor can choose which program they want to pursue, and a lot of yesterday's discussion revolved around this. Um, ultimately, the Historic Preservation Commission um, did choose to adopt a recommendation um, to approve the ordinance as proposed, citing the um, protections for the historic district. Um, but again, I want to emphasize we have, um, if we exclude all of the historic districts from Home SF, they will very likely pursue state density bonus on those properties. And again, we have limited power to um, really revisit the height from there once they choose state density bonus. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do you have any other questions? Commissioner Braun? Yes, uh, I, I just wanna say for the first legislation, I'm, I'm really, um, appreciate the, the clarity that that legislation brings and also putting in place a way to expand the rent controlled housing supply, which we don't have a whole lot of op tools to do. And it's just, in my experience, one of the most important tools we have for maintaining mixed income neighborhoods in the city and allowing people to remain in their homes. So um, I like, uh, on the whole, the legislation seems great. I, I do agree actually with all four of the staff recommended um, changes to that legislation. It seems like a good way to kind of expand the clarity and sort of usability of Home SF. Um, on the second item on 11B uh, for the staff recommendation, I'm of I'm mixed mind right now. Uh, <laughs> um, I. I understand not wanting to create more fuel, add, add more fuel to the fire of the possibility of people choosing to build buildings that are out of scale in character with um, historic um, neighborhoods. Uh, at the same time, there would be new buildings one way or another within those existing historic districts. Um, and then it was very helpful to hear about the fact that the state density bonus law would of course still be you know, another alternative. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I am curious to hear what the other commissioners have to say about that one, and I'm still sort of thinking about that, that amendment. Great, thank you, Commissioner Braun. Commissioner Diamond? Thank you, um, I have a question for the staff for both of the supervisors, maybe Supervisor Dorsey's office first. Um, if I'm understanding correctly, um, you're in, you support the first two amendments that staff wanted to do, but you are silent on the second two amendments. And I was wondering what your office's concern was with the second two amendments that you're not taking a position on them. Yeah, so I think we did work really collaboratively with Supervisor Peskin's office on this legislation. So I think there's sort of some shared uh, concern on, uh, well, I can speak to the demolition piece. I think there's a lot of uh, legislation uh, potentially moving through the board that's going to have to address demolition in one way or another. And this is a small like subset of projects and we don't know if this is where we should be addressing 
demolition. Um, there might be better avenues in that other legislation that's coming up. And again, we just don't know if this is the best way to address that. And, oh. and how about the sequel, the, the piece on shadow and wind, which is staff's recommendation number three? I will defer to the District 3 office for some of the concerns that came up around that. Thanks for your question, Commissioner. I, uh, we did have some meetings with uh, our city attorney and Supervisor Dorsey's office. I think that we would be potentially open to that. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I think that this will definitely be a discussion that will take place with the legislative, uh, with the legislators on the Land Use and Transportation Committee. Um, certainly, the ability to still go through the CEQA process and at least get your foot into the door and get your shadow studies in, pay for those up front, um, and you know, be able to offer up mitigations should there be significant impacts that come from that CEQA review is, seems reasonable. Uh, I, I think that in the end, I think our real concern was really around the demolition controls or allowing opening up putting this you know nose under the tent of demolition which frankly i know this body has talked a lot about sort of the ability to track to enforce what our powers are uh, to really be thoughtful and uh, responsible about how we're regulating and monitoring what developers are doing in this respect and the permits that they're pulling and we also have a lot of concerns from our tenant uh, community about the kinds of um, the kinds of impacts that demolitions have uh, on the surrounding units, the constructive evictions that happened as a result of you know you know just relentless construction activity noise um, that you really can't mitigate and you can't enforce. And this is an ongoing issue that we have in Telegraph Hill and Knob Hill, uh, in a lot of the neighborhoods that uh, my office represents. So I think that. Um, as Madison referenced earlier, we've been talking with the city attorney about uh, legislation that we believe could be interpreted as being able to maximize units and kind of contribute towards our overall housing element goals in other ways, and that perhaps this is not really the, the legislation to try and solve that, that problem with, if that is helpful at all. Okay, let, let me ask a couple other questions sure. while you're up here. Um, so with respect to the um, ordinance that uh, your office is proposing, um, when I was reading the staff package, um, I was thinking about the same issues that um, were raised a couple <laughs> minutes ago, which is, okay, mm -hmm. um, we can limit it uh, mm -hmm. to the entire district and not go with staff's recommendation, but that does nothing to um, help out in a situation where a state density bonus project is approved. So um, how do you, you think about that um, with respect to this, which is, yes, we can say mm -hmm. no to home SF projects on non-contributory buildings, but that does nothing to stop someone from moving forward with the state density bonus project, which might be um, have even greater impacts on the district than a home SF project. And I would defer to planning in terms of how many you know projects have actually put for put in for state density bonus applications in any of the 14. Uh, Article 10 historic districts, but you know, I actually don't know. But 
I think one of the things that is appealing about the Home SF program is that it, it is, you know, a smaller kind of mid-size option, which is probably more attractive for a lot of these uh, historic districts that mm -hmm. are smaller in scale. Um, still very dense and very built out, but um, perhaps not high rises. Um, so. I think that you know the sponsor's intent is really to put a flag in the ground and say this is our local program, this is our local option, and you know we're kind of setting an example for what it is that we hope developers would consider when choosing where they're going to build a project and what it what it looks like, what it um, you know what it actually contributes to the overall neighborhood, and is it in keeping? I mean, the other having actually worked alongside supervisor, former supervisor Katie Tang's office in the development of the original Home SF program, I mean, it was really trying to get at development on the west side and really giving options for development on the west side that would complement those neighborhoods, smaller developers, residential builders. Um, and so in some respects, I think that, you know, for the historic districts that are kind of concentrated on the northeast side of the city um, and else, elsewhere also in the south of market, this is not, you know, perhaps this is not the program for those districts. And if we're saying that very clearly, you know, in, in setting forth our local alternative, we're sending a clear message to developers that we hope that they will avail themselves of these options on the west side of the city first. Um, I don't know if that's helpful yeah. in your thinking. <laughs> well, I, as Commissioner Moore said, we're struggling with uh, I, I get not it. just yeah. this issue. It just raises this issue um, that we think about on a broader basis, which right. is what happens when, you know, what do we do to encourage people to use, you know, local programs that allow mm -hmm. for tailoring that fit into the city? when we have this uh, state density bonus program out there that's very attractive to many of developers. And right. if I understand correctly from staff, we are seeing an increasing number of applications um, on those kinds of projects. So I just worry about unintended consequences um, mm -hmm. with uh, the ordinance that might be even worse than um, what uh, staff is proposing. Anyways, just thinking about that. I actually do have one more question for um, Supervisor Dorsey's, um, did you talk with any members of the development community about your proposed ordinance and whether or not this additional track um, that the rent control would create um, might encourage them to produce more uh, housing under Home SF? Yes, uh, over the last few months, I've had a couple of casual conversations with developers who mm -hmm. did express interest. And um, as uh, the Housing Action Coalition, uh, as you heard, they gave public comment. They've uh, socialized this idea with some of their members and this new option is attractive to them. Okay, thank you, that's very helpful. And one last question, did I, for, no, not for Ms. Flores. Did I understand you correctly? Because the mic was going out, so I'm not sure if I got this right. Um, that HPC recommended for or against all four recommendations on the first ordinance? So with respect to the first ordinance in front of you today, they only, um, they only had the recommendation related to eliminating the environmental, criteria, environmental topics from the eligibility criterion. So that was the only aspect that they um, reviewed during the hearing yesterday. They did not have any discussion or comments regarding this other ordinance. And 
move to approve the ordinance as proposed without staff recommendations. So they approved Supervisor Dorsey's ordinance as- As written. As without the four amendments, but there was no discussion on the four amendments? Correct, but they only would have discussed the one recommendation related to the environmental topics being eliminated from the eligibility criteria. Because the other three wouldn't have related would have to applied the for area of their purview. Okay, so it wasn't a decision against those three. That Correct. Okay, Correct. Uh, thank you, that's very helpful. And, and if I may, just to um, add on to what was just shared, um, just want to emphasize again, with respect to the recommended modification to el um, eliminate the environmental topics from the eligibility criterion, as well as um, related to the ordinance excluding um, homicide from Article 10 districts. CEQA will still be conducted on all these projects, yeah. and the projects will still be reviewed for a significant impact, a significant adverse impact on the Article 10 historic districts. That will still happen either way. Just want to emphasize that one last time for you. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank and, you. And maybe one last question, if you don't okay, mind. So on the demolition issue, maybe this is a question you know, for staff. I and mean, How do you respond to... Um, the comment that was made by Supervisor Peskin's ordinance that um, we don't want this ordinance to be the wedge in to deal with demolition issues um, and that this ordinance shouldn't be addressing a demolition. I assume you proposed it because you want to increase the amount of housing, especially on the west side, and that the ability to demolish one unit would open up many more opportunities so that home SF might be used more broadly because it's not used very much at all right now, correct? Um, how do you respond to, so I, I understand all of that. How do you respond to their concern, Supervisor Peskin's concern about this isn't the right place to deal with demolition? Sure, so just to also reiterate, we were only looking at allowing the demolition of one residential unit because you know this is an eligibility criterion and um, there is a larger discussion to be had regarding um, demolition. And then just to um, clarify, for larger changes to 317 or demolition calculations. Um, those are a separate conversation. However, it's still listed here within the eligibility criterion for home SF. So even if it's tweaked, um, there still has to be other efforts and there are other ongoing efforts regarding the demolition aspect. But um, again, the example I shared, I hope it didn't um, confuse the commission and kind of um, catch on to that one, but it was just one example that we could see opening up sites to home SF if the recommended modification were to be um, taken okay. and act, enacted on. Thank you. And can, can I just add quickly to that too? Like, 317 would still apply. So if you had to get a CU for demolition under the current rules, you would still need that. Currently, you just, even you if you it. got that and the commission granted it, you, you can't, can't get home SF mm -hmm. yeah. benefits. Great. So, um, I think I'm aligned with Commissioner Braun here, which is, you know, I can see the first ordinance and the four amendments, and that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really struggling. I mean, with this, not the second ordinance, but the amendment that's proposed by staff, which is, um, I get that you really don't want this, and I understand the HPC position to affect the entire district, but when you've got an SDB alternative um, isn't home SF better than the state density bonus program. So um, I'm not sure the discussion led me, you know, I think it added to my level of, you know, um, 
concern about which way we should go on this particular one. So I'm curious to hear what others are thinking. But on the first ordinance, um, I am in support of it with all four amendments as proposed and definitely in favor of the second ordinance. It's just the amendment that I'm struggling with. Yeah, certainly. I'll make a few comments and then I'll call on Commissioner Moore or others who may want to jump in. Um, uh, first, again, thanks for this legislation. Really glad to see us tweaking our local program, giving folks more options. Like that's what we need to do um, to make Home SF more successful. And hopefully those folks you talk to do come through with projects. That would be great um, to see actually some more housing projects proposed. Um, I think the four amendments uh, for the first file seem seem acceptable to me. I think with number four, I would wonder, which is you know allowing demolition of one unit. I can vividly imagine all of the places that you're talking about, Ms. Flores, where it's you know one unit above a commercial um, unit and not really often being used as housing anymore, um, and so kind of really limiting development. And I wonder about more closely linking the demolition of the residential unit with that particular typology, because I could see it being concerning that we might you know, knock down a house, um, which as we know, there can be unauthorized dwelling units, there can still be tenants, the ability for those folks to be moved, and we do have different protections and relocation, et cetera, et cetera. But I do wonder if the supervisors um, may end up being more supportive if we're really narrowing that recommendation to that specific typology where it's a residential unit that is literally connected to a commercial unit. And I think that maybe aligns, even though I believe Home SF is mainly allowed on commercial districts anyways, so it just seems to reinforce that we're talking about commercial buildings becoming housing versus knocking down housing to necessarily make more housing under this program at least. So I don't know um, if either of the aides have a response to that or Ms. Flores, just like if that's something that we could consider doing and kind of linking the commercial unit to that residential unit being demolished? I will say, again, we're looking to really incentivize Home SF, our local density bonus program, looking at ways that we can open up sites to the program. Uh, we would really love to keep the amendment as is. However, if this is the way to be able to open up more sites, um, we would be amenable to that um, and can continue the conversation. So I just invite us to think about if that's something that's interesting to this body. And certainly, I think the idea of talking about demolition, I think there's always a question with these pieces of legislation. Do we do it holistically, where we're having a conversation about demolition in light of the housing element, for example? Or is it incremental to look at our different programs and say, OK, in this scenario, is the trade-off of demolishing a unit worth what we're getting? I would argue you know, most Home SF units are providing more than one housing unit, and this is only allowing demolition of one unit. So the trade-off does seem to be there. It also is providing um, a lot of affordable housing in every Home SF project. So it's, again, giving us more of the things that we do want. So notwithstanding the need to have a larger demolition conversation would be um, supportive of number uh, the staff recommendation for. In regards to the historic district, I, like you, Commissioner Diamond and Commissioner Braun, was a little like, you know, can see definitely both sides of it. I also really want to commend the staff analysis of kind of there's kind of the theoretical, okay, should we allow new types of buildings alongside historic buildings in a historic district? Generally, I think yes. I think part of preserving histor history is preserving the contributing resources, preserving the district, and this is somebody who grew up in a historic district, and at the same time, not freezing time, allowing new things to come alongside, and so we have the past and present coexisting. That's you know my, my, my view. That said, there's not that many historic districts, the amount of space they take up is very small. It's pretty difficult to get a historic district. It's not like we're just handing them out all over the city. And so the limiting impact of preserving historic districts 
in real life is very limited in this case. My one concern would be that folks who are not interested in having more new neighbors would use the historic district program to further curtail um, access to development and try to get their neighborhood to become a historic district. And you suddenly see a bunch of folks trying to have their districts become historic districts in order to prevent any change and more density. So that's my one concern. This doesn't necessarily open the door to that at all because this is just saying you can or can't do home SF. And then just to add to more confusion, you know, staff kind of in their analysis are saying, well, if you look at where you can do home SF, um, and you look at where the historic districts are in the west side, that development would likely be able to produce more housing through Home SF than the state density bonus because um, Home SF includes a density decontrol. And so again, it, to me, that kind of weighs back towards allowing Home SF and allowing state density bonus, which we don't have a choice to allow, and hopefully seeing that some folks might choose our local program, which is gonna be, in many cases, less severe in terms of height, um, than the state density bonus might allow in those districts. So I think if we're really trying to keep our historic districts preserved, Home SF seems better for that than not allowing it. So those are, those are my comments. I'm gonna call on Commissioner Moore and then Commissioner Imperial. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to acknowledge the presence of both supervisorial offices here. We do not always have the benefit uh, to have the legislators being represented. And when it comes to a discussion like this, I always say that uh, we can make a recommendation or we can vote on this. However, ultimately, the legislators themselves will determine what is useful and what is not. And so uh, I like to make a motion uh, to uh, approve, uh, approve the planning code amendments for both 11A and B as proposed without staff recommendation with the caveat addressing our two representatives that the comments that were made here are extremely important and extremely valuable given how intensely we're discussing this are being as much uh, communicated in your ongoing deliberations. Uh, uh, that would be my motion. Is there a second? Second. Thank you. Commissioner Imperial, did you have comments? Yeah. Um, I remember when Home SF legislation came out, it was, uh, it was a big, um, um, it, um, there was a lot of community feedback on it. And when we've had a lot of discussions um, here too as well to make um, a local program, a local density bonus program to be more attractive. Um, and I remember, in terms of the home SF, the, the, the you know the the goal of the home SF is to create more um, developments in the west side area. This is targeting the mid-size type kind of development. Um, the amendment number three is, is like a practicality out of practicality for me as well. Um, so in a way, I do approve of that. The um, the recommendation number four. Um, again, when looking into the, the pragmatic way of the demolition, and, um, and I do agree that there needs to have a separate discussion about demolition, and there needs to have a d separate legislation on demolition. Um, but w when this one is being attached to home SF, um, again, the, the focus is more on the west side as I see it. 
Um, so, so I do find this, the recommendation number four, as acceptable. And also there are also state laws that are putting replacements um, in terms of rent-controlled units. Again, there needs to have a different legislation about demolition when it comes to tenants' protections and when it comes to rent, um, um, whether tenants are going to be displaced. Um, so, however, I think there are also some kind of, um, when we're looking into a project that is, let's say, these are mid-size, I think it makes sense for this home SF. Um, Again, the number one and number two is something I greatly appreciate of what the planning department recommending in terms of 10 units and less. There's not going to have inclusionary units on those, and so it is best to have all that unit to be rent controlled and to have those leases saying that these are actually rent controlled. I think those are, so those top number two recommendations I greatly agree and top and three and four, I also agree in terms of the home SF program itself. The recommendation number five is um, I would um, adhere to what the um, to the HBC um, decision on that as well um, instead of the staff recommendation. Um, at the end of the day, Commissioner Braun, you're right. There is a state and city bonus program too, but. I'm also thinking of a way that we need to make the Home SF project also uniquely San Franciscan. <laughs> and yes, tourists you know, flock to San Francisco because of our built environment as well. So I think there are things that we also need to protect. Um, so I would actually, um, you know, again, support the, the planning staff recommendation number one to four, but not number five. Um, and now, um, yeah, so that would be my um, my uh, comment. Um, thank you. I would just say I am aligned with Commissioner Imperial, and I will not be supporting the motion that's been made. Um, I do believe staff have put forward some thoughtful recommendations, and especially one through four, um, would love to see that at least discussed among the supervisors. I think number five, we are ambivalent and think deferring to the HPC makes sense. And again, it's a small fraction of the city that's covered by those districts. And so I don't think, at least at this point, it's out of hand, although it's something that I think we would need to monitor um, as things go forward. Did you want to speak, Commissioner Moore? No. Okay. Commissioners, if there's no further deliberation at this time, um, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve both pieces of legislation as proposed by their um, supervisors. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? No. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? No. Commissioner Imperial? No. Commissioner Koppel? No. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? No. That motion fails two to five with uh, Commissioners Braun, Diamond, Imperial, Koppel, and Tanner voting against. Is there an alternate motion? Commissioner Braun? Yes, uh, I make a motion to uh, approve item 11A with the four staff recommendations and the revisions to the draft resolution were provided. Um, and actually, I think, yeah, let's, let's just take that one. <laughs> yeah. Second. Um, Commission Secretary, if I may. Just to clarify, the revised draft resolution is associated with item 11B. So um, this motion would not include that item. 
Okay, then I incorporate, then I eliminate um, the draft resolution modifications. Understood. So, commissioners, if I, and is that amenable to the seconder? Just so I make sure I'm understanding, we're voting on um, Supervisor Dorsey's 11A. with uh, uh, ordinance with the four amendments. As that's my understanding. Yes, correct? that's correct. Period. Yes. Okay. Well, with the four amendments recommended by modifications staff. Modifications recommended by staff. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So I'm on I'm 11. Sorry. The audio was cutting in and out for me. So can you clarify again what we're voting on just... 11A with? With staff modifications. Okay, okay. So on that motion, commissioners, um, to approve with staff modifications for item 11A, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Uh, aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? No. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners. That motion passes six to one with Commissioner Moore voting against 11B. Any, yeah, I was going to say, are there motions for 11B? Because uh, it's separate legislation, technically, yeah. Commissioner Braun? I, I move to. Uh, approve item 11b without the staff modification Second. And, and also incorporating the revised draft resolution items given to us by staff this is the handout that we got i think could, oh okay could you restate the, the modifications on that second motion please Yes, the first um, change is related to the recommendation. It currently states um, lists individually listed resources and contributors cannot be demolished, but it should be they should be excluded from Home SF. And then the second revision is related to CEQA. Um, it currently states that CEQA analysis was covered under the housing element EIR, but that's only for the first ordinance actually, and this second ordinance is. Um, not considered a project under CEQA, and that's been corrected in the draft resolution. So it seems like one is incorporating the first. Yeah. One in light of his motion, which. Sorry, your your microphone's not on. Um, I, I'm a little confused. Given that the uh, motion is to adopt the ordinance without the amendment, um, and what you just described was a modification to the amendment. Did I hear that correctly? Um, so the original ordinance as proposed is not considered a project under CEQA for 11B. I think, sorry, and Ms. Flores, it's actually the two things. So I think we need to read into the record the CEQA part, but I think Commissioner Diamond's referring to number one, which since we're not, at least the motion does not purport to contain staff recommendation, I think that part we don't need to read and have recorded because oh, yes. we're not Thank approving you. that. Thank you. And Before yes, I, I can read the revised CEQA finding into the record. So that would be on um, the bottom of page one or the top of page two of the revised draft resolution and shall read as whereas the proposed ordinance has been determined to be categorically exempt from environmental review because it is not defined as a project under CEQA guidelines sections 
15378 and 15060 subsection C subsection 2 because it would not result in a direct or indirect physical change in the environment. So it is just that change. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Right. So, um, and the seconder is okay. I seconded. Right. So just to be clear, we're um, yeah. approving the revised draft resolution simply without staff's modifications. Yes. Correct. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? No. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? No. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? No. Okay, well that motion passes four to three with Commissioner Diamond, Koppel, and Tanner voting against. Okay, commissioners, um, that will allow us to move on to item 12 for case number 2022-003898 CUA for the property at 1019 Ocean Avenue. This is a conditional use authorization. Good afternoon, commissioners. Ryan Balbo, department staff. The item before you is a conditional use authorization pursuant to planning code sections 202.2, 303, and 755 to establish a new 888 square foot cannabis retail use within a currently vacant ground floor commercial space of a three-story mixed-use building. The site is located within the Ocean Avenue NCT zoning district and a 45X height and bulk district. The Ocean Avenue NCT Zoning District requires a conditional use authorization for cannabis retail uses. The, this location complies with the 600-foot rule established under Planning Code Section 202.2. The closest other approved cannabis retailer is approximately 4,250 feet away from the site at 5234 Mission Street, and the nearest school is Seventh-day Adventist Elementary School, approximately 730 feet away from the site. Within the general vicinity are Star Sky Child Care at approximately 28 feet, Unity Plaza at approximately 88 feet, Shining Stars Family Child Care at, approxim at approximately 956 feet, Fun with Mandarin Preschool at approximately 960 feet, and Vicky's Family Child Care at approximately 970 feet away from the site. These locations are not identified as schools under the planning code. However, in response to the context, the proposed cannabis retail store is, des is designed to shield products from view from the street while maintaining transparency of the facade, along with a strong security presence and staff monitor monitoring the storefront. At packet publication, the department received 232 comments expressing support, which include those from business owners and registered neighborhood groups such as the Ocean Incubators, OMI Cultural Participation Project, and Ocean Avenue Association. And we also received four comments expressing opposition. Since packet publication, the department has received two additional comments of opposition. The letters of support centered around the project's creation of local jobs and providing security for the area. The letters of opposition expressed concerns regarding the, the project's proximity to school and children. In summary, the project complies with the zoning and the policies of the general plan, provides new business by activating a currently vacant space, complies with the city's 600-foot rule, 
and furthers the city's equity program goal. The department recommends approval. This concludes my presentation and I'm available for any questions. The applicant has a presentation to make and I will now hand it over to them. Thank you. Thank you, project sponsor. You have five minutes. Hello and good afternoon. Um, my name is Patrick Hall and I'm the equity partner. Um, a born and raised San Francisco native. Uh, I grew up in the Forest Hill District and I started school at KZV, the Armenian school on the west side of the city, and then graduated to San Francisco Unified School District, first through five grades, and then uh, moved on to Herbert Hoover <coughs> Middle School, grades six through eight, and then uh, graduated to Archbishop Reardon High School, which is in the Ingleside District, where our cannabis club is proposed. And um, I've basically worked most of my life in a hospitality business and UPS, of which later on in my early life, I was uh, a victim of stop and frisk in Reno, Nevada. And I was arrested for possession of marijuana, which led to uh, a substantial amount of out-of-state court fees. And, uh, you know, kind of like, put in the realm as criminal and pothead and all sorts of things. Till this day, my mom calls me a pothead, but uh, I like to think that she's just calling me pathead. So, um, and you know, I'm, me and my partner are pretty excited to move into this district and contribute to the community. We've met with a lot of the organizations within the community and we think that we would be a great contribution just for the fact that that district alone is very underserved, especially in the Ocean Ave corridor. And we would be afoot in the community with security, eyes on the street, relationships to people who would frequent us. And those who don't, we've gotten in pretty good with a lot of the storefront owners that work the corridor. And um, yeah, we're very excited about that. And, this is my partner, Tyler. I'd like to hand that over to him, tell you a little more. Good afternoon, Planning Commission. My name is Tyler Macris. I'm Patrick's partner, and just like him, I'm a lifelong San Franciscan. We've been taking our community outreach very seriously. Over the past six months, we've been working nonstop. Just to, uh, just to point out some of the highlights of our outreach, we've had two community meetings, um, on-site community meetings. Our second one, we had a Chinese translator per request of the neighborhood. The neighborhood, We have walked up and down the corridor multiple times meeting with every business, and we've also had tables set up at multiple community events. In addition, we have been in conversation with our district supervisor's office throughout this process. Patrick and I are proud to say that we have collected hundreds of support letters. More specifically, 150, over, over 150 from our surrounding neighbors, including tenants uh, that live upstairs, 12 from local businesses, and seven from community groups. Patrick and I are excited to serve our community, and please let me know if you have any questions. In addition, uh, can everybody here in support please stand up? Thank you, Commission. 
Okay, if that concludes sponsor's presentation, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward and line up on the screen side of the room. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Uh, through the chair, we're gonna provide two minutes to each speaker. Let's go to our callers. Our, okay, I see a couple of people getting up. Why don't you guys come up and line up on the screen side of the room if you intend to submit. No, go ahead, sir. Everybody after you can line up on the screen side of the room. Great, thank you very much. <clears throat> My name is Herb Meiberger, and I'm in uh, support of this. I live in the district, uh, not too far from the, um, from the office, uh, about, probably about a mile and a half, uh, Monterey Heights. Uh, as you can see, I've uh, advanced in years, shall we say, and uh, I will be one of the customers of the shop. I suffer from tinnitus, and I hear ringing in my ears all the time, and uh, I know that there are certain of the cannabis products that are successful in doing so. And as you may know, I live in Monterey Heights, um, and as you may know, there's a lot of people that are advanced in years. What is the politically correct phrase? I don't know what it is. Um, I'm so old, I don't even buy green bananas. But um, a, a lot of us are uh, nearby, and uh, you, you're middle-aged when the umpires look young, you're old-aged when the uh, players look young. And I think a lot of people similarly situated have hearing issues, and I think uh, there would be many people that would be beneficial from using the products at this uh, dispensary. Uh, there are several here in San Francisco. As you well know, uh, San Francisco is quite liberal and indeed has its own foreign policy. And as a result of that, I think uh, we should um, uh, realize that a lot of these um, uh, products would be useful, uh, not just from people from my age, uh, but uh, from others as well. Uh, so I, I would uh, uh, respectfully request that the, uh, that the planning commission, that you uh, members of the board, uh, look at this very favorably uh, because this is very positive to the community. I'm sure you're also aware of the vacancies and the fact that as a result of the COVID issues that there's a lot of uh, uh, unfilled, the occupancy rate, I saw the occupancy rate by Ben Rosenstein, Ben Rosenfield, 20%. Uh, up, so there's a lot of vacant uh, uh, buildings. So I think this would solve a lot of problems, help a lot of people, and be very constructive for the city and county of San Francisco. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, speaking on behalf of the owners of Westwood Produce on uh, 1712 Ocean Avenue. Um, we're in support of the dispensary. We uh, think it's gonna be an, a lift to the community. Uh, I'm gonna keep it short, but just going off of, you know, we don't wanna keep our retail on, you know, vacant. And I think these guys would, you know, really help bring Ocean Avenue, that's a vibrant community. Um, they've outreached to us multiple times and uh, every question that we've ever asked them, they've been able to answer it, whether it's something we've been against or for. So they've been straightforward with us and uh, we support what they're doing. Thank you. Okay, seeing no any, any additional members of the public in the chambers, let's go to our remote caller. Again, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Go ahead, Mr. Sinkovitz. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jack, and I'd like to express my support for the opening of a dispensary on 1019 Ocean Avenue because it brings many positive changes to the local area. 
Uh, I'll keep our argument short and say these things include a boost to the local economy by creating uh, business opportunities, increased security around the area by providing safe business practices, and providing an opportunity for safer use of marijuana by providing legal and monitored establishment. Um, these benefits make it clear that the dispensary on 1019 Ocean Avenue is a positive change to the community. Thank you for your time. Hi, uh, my name is Kimia Dardashi. Um, I'm also a strong supporter of um, opening up this cannabis dispensary. Um, firstly, a cannabis dispensary would attract foot tra traffic in the area. Many people are interested in purchasing cannabis for medicinal or recreational purposes, and this dispensary would provide a convenient and safe location for them to do so. This foot traffic could also benefit other local businesses, as many people may be more likely to support nearby shops and restaurants while they're in the area. Secondly, a cannabis dispensary would be valuable addition to our community in terms of security. When cannabis is illegal or restricted, there's a black market that operates outside the law, and this can lead to dangerous situations. So by opening a dispensary, we would be taking the sales of cannabis out of the hands of criminals and into the hands of regulated businesses that operate within the law. Um, this can help reduce crime and improve public safety in our area. Lastly, I believe that cannabis, this cannabis dispensary would be a significant source of tax revenue for our community. As cannabis is legalized in many parts of the country, governments are beginning to recognize the potential financial benefits of regulating and taxing its sales. Uh, in conclusion, I believe that this would be a positive development for these reasons. Thank you. Board. My name is Abraham. Um, I just want to re reiterate all the points previously said, really. Our primary concern is with the security of the neighborhood. And I believe having that security guard there um, will keep a closer eye on the neighborhood and I think will increase foot traffic safety. And I think it'll bring back some much needed revitalization to the neighborhood considering all the, all the people around and getting people back on the streets. Um, yeah, finally, I support this. Uh, establishment of the cannabis location at 10 Ocean. Okay, thank you. Last call for public comment on this matter. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. And if you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. Thank you, Go. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Simon Timoney. I am here on my lunch break in my capacity as a private citizen, as the founder of Advocates 11, a safety advocacy organization founded during the height of Asian hate, uh, which serves the Lakeview, Ingleside, and Excelsior neighborhoods. Uh, why am I here as a safety advocate commenting on the opening of a dispensary, as uh, so many have mentioned, because uh, in the wrong hands of dispensary, can make a neighborhood less safe, and the right hands of dispensary can make a neighborhood more safe. Uh, the only reason I'm here is because Tyler and Patrick, the entrepreneurs behind 1019, did their due diligence and reached out to every organization, every neighboring business, and every neighbor they could to let us know what they wanted and how they wanted to do it. And after sitting down and speaking with them multiple times at great length, I, as someone whose sole focus is safety for my neighborhood. 100% believe that this establishment will make the Ocean Avenue corridor a safer and better place 
There are guaranteed assurances. We'll cultivate a healthy influence on the neighborhood by creating jobs, earning city tax revenue, and attracting a clientele I'm confident will prove to be in good standing. They seem to have high standards, which is good, because so do we. It is therefore in the best hopes and by the aforementioned reasons that I urge you to approve uh, their organization forthwith. The city would do well not to have more dispensaries, but to have dispensaries modeled in this vein. Please approve this application and I thank you for your time. Okay, final last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public, oh, I take that back. We have some remote callers. Let's go to our remote callers. Again, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Go ahead, caller. Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Um, yeah, I just want to apologize. I uh, spoke out of turn earlier. My name is Tariq. Um, I'm calling in as a neighbor of the proposed cannabis shop. Um, I've lived off of Ocean Avenue in the CVS for the past 23 years, and I've been a beneficiary of medical marijuana since the age of 18. Um, it has helped me with my anxiety, insomnia, and uh, lack of appetite due to my medical conditions. Um, I believe that Patrick and Tyler should be allowed to open their cannabis shop on Ocean Ave as I see it being beneficial to others in the area. Uh, thank you, everyone. Okay, uh, that concludes public comment. Commissioners, and this matter is now before you. Thank you. I just want to commend the project sponsors for doing really thorough outreach. It was pretty impressive to see the number of organizations that supported your project as well as neighbors. And I, I want to say it's probably one of the most exemplary examples of community outreach for a cannabis dispensary we've seen in quite a while. So thank you. And it, it certainly shows through today um, in the hearing. I want to call in Commissioner Koppel. Uh, what's interesting um, regarding your incidents that's happened in Nevada is that a, a state that now is is uh, cannabis is legal. They were even in the past literally convicting people of felonies that had rolling papers with no tobacco. So just imagine how far the state of Nevada has come and, and you know, um, sorry to hear what happened to you and, and hope to provide you with a, a little more of a democratic um, process here. Uh, I, you know, this is a vacant storefront. I think these type of items should be on consent, so I'm in support. Is that a motion? Motion to approve. Second. Commissioner Ruiz is requesting to speak. Oh, Commissioner Ruiz, thank you. That's okay, President Tanner and Commissioner Koppel took the words out of my mouth. I just want to acknowledge also how amazing our equity program is. Just in my short time of being on the commission, I've seen so many fellow San Franciscans come before us proposing a cannabis club and just as someone who grew up in the city, owning a business just seems so far out of reach. And so, yeah, I just want to say how amazing it is to see all of these local San Francisco San Franciscans come before us. So, completely supportive of the project. Thank Very you. Very good, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to approve with conditions. On that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. 
Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously, seven to zero. So since we have, we've reached 2.30, um, do we want to take up our, and I think all the translators are here as well for um, the San Bruno item. Should we take that out of order or? That's entirely up to you, it's, Commissioner, it's, as the chair. Um, I think we. Need, I think I definitely need to. I definitely need. need I need to take a break. So I need to take a five-minute break. Whatever we do next, and I'll confer with my fellow commissioners what item they. Very like to good. Uh, SFGov. We're going to go on recess for five minutes. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, welcome back to the San Francisco Planning Commission regular hearing for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. Commissioners, uh, we left off on your discretionary review calendar, but through the chair, we are going to go to our 2.30 p.m. calendar as it is almost three o'clock for item 14. Case number 2019-020031 CUA for the property at 2861 through 2899 San Bruno Avenue, also known as 90 through 98 Woolsey Street, a conditional use authorization. Commissioners, uh, we received a request for interpretation and translation services uh, for this matter into Cantonese and Spanish. So, if you are joining us remotely and would like to listen to item 14 for this case uh, in Cantonese, please call 415-906-4659 and enter conference ID 476-959-180 pound. You can watch it on the Bitly channel for Cantonese uh, 0216 planning. In Spanish, you'll need to call 415-906-4659 and enter conference ID 925-548-583 pound. And to watch it, you'll need to go to the Bitly channel, Spanish at 0216 planning. If you're joining us in person, we have headsets available for you by the table or on the table by the door. SFGov TV will be TV will be scrolling these phone numbers and URLs at the bottom of their broadcast screens for the duration of this item. For the benefit of the interpreters, I request we all speak clearly and slowly to allow for translation in real time. When it is time for public comment, those listening in on Teams will need to call into the WebEx number to submit their testimony. And I will now ask that this information be translated into Cantonese and Spanish. We're going to need to use the mic. Uh,今日的公聽是項目十四檔案號碼二零一九零二零零三ICUA二八六一二八九九Sampuno,呃,Avenue,呃,亦都係呃九十九十八Woodley 我們收到這個公聽是有翻譯的申請的 就可以是要聽廣東話的,就是可以打這個電話415960586。然後呢,就是輸入會議號碼91550。如果呢,你哋係要係觀看呢個嘅公聽會的話呢,就是可以係去呢個HTTPS/slash bit-ly cantonese 0216 planning 
。咁就如果咧你係誒親身係參加呢一個會議嘅話咧，你哋係需要聽呢一個嘅翻譯嘅話咧，誒我哋喺門口嗰度咧，嗰張台嗰度咧係有個耳機係可以係俾你哋係聽呢一個嘅誒翻譯嘅。誒咁同時咧，啊呢一個嘅誒三藩市。係啊，呢一個嘅官方嘅電台啦 ，SFGov 誒 TV 咧，佢嘅屏幕上邊啦，誒亦都有顯示呢一個嘅電話號碼。同時喺屏幕嘅底下咧，誒亦都會顯示呢個項目進行嘅誒時間嘅。咁啊，為咗咧就係咧誒，我哋咧係能夠係保障誒呢個嘅翻譯咧係順利係誒進行啦。誒咁，我哋咧就係要求咧，啊，你哋講嘅時候咧係講得清楚啲，誒，同埋係慢啲，咁係咧係以便咧呢個翻譯員咧能夠係做實時嘅翻譯。咁到咗誒公眾發言嘅時間咧，啊，透過呢個 team 嘅誒聽眾咧，啊，亦都係可以係誒呢一個嘅發言嘅。誒，咁佢哋咧係需要打呢個嘅電話咧入去呢個 webex 啊嗰度咧係誒發言嘅。多謝。Artículo 14, el caso número 2019-020031-CUA-2861-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-2019-
and uh, sponsor's presentation. Before we just get started, I just want to thank in advance our interpreter staff for being here and for interpreting for us. And just to let commissioners know, part of the reason we're taking this item first is that um, they're going to be here till around 5 o'clock, and so wanted to make sure that those who are present and listening could hear most, if not all, of the proceedings being um, interpreted for them. So thank you again, uh, Mr. Secretary, also for organizing uh, the interpretation. Good afternoon, commissioners. Kimberly Durande, Planning Department staff. The project before you is to address multiple notices of violation from the Planning Department and Department of Building Inspection by removing 20 unauthorized dwelling units through merger or conversion constructed without the benefit of a permit within five contiguous buildings on Lot 37. Excuse me, Mr. Durande, sorry. Hey, uh, through the chair and Jonas, maybe uh, we can do something about this. I'm having an incredibly difficult time with the voices over over the voices. I'm just having trouble concentrating on what the staff is saying. It's only it, it's only one of the interpreters I can just really clearly hear. Um, I think maybe I think there's some secondary conversations happening in the back of the room as well. Okay, if people could keep their secondary conversations, and if you have to have them, please step outside of the room. And um, Jonas, we have some additional updated materials for the commissioners. Great, thank you. Okay. Should I start again or? Okay. Good afternoon, commissioners. Kimberly Durande, Planning Department staff. The project before you is to address multiple notices of violation from the Planning Department and Department of Building Inspection by removing 20 unauthorized dwelling units through merger or conversion constructed without the benefit of a permit within five contiguous buildings on Lot 37. The project site is currently authorized for ground floor commercial, second floor, non-retail professional service, and a total of 10 dwelling units, full floor flats across the third and fourth floors. The project also seeks approval of the de facto demolition of the two-unit over-retail mixed-use building at 2861 San Bruno Avenue, lot 22. That was approved as a two-story vertical addition remodel with ground floor retail, second, third, and fourth floor residential expansion of two existing dwelling units. In total, across both lots, the project would restore the buildings to their previously approved configuration, resulting in a total of 12 dwelling units within six contiguous four-story buildings, with 12 off-street accessory parking spaces, 12 Class 1 and 3 Class 2 bicycle parking spaces. The project also includes restoration of the various architectural features that were not built according to the approved plans. The project is also seeking to change the method of compliance for the inclusionary housing requirement from on-site to the in-lieu fee. Some issues and considerations. As many of you recall, this project was brought before you as an informational item last fall, no, uh, sorry, it was actually spring, uh, to discuss whether the city should pursue legalization or removal 
of the 20 unauthorized dwelling units. At that hearing, city staff indicated that the construction required <clears throat> to legalize those units would be so extensive that the tenants would be required to be evicted at least temporarily. Furthermore, the units could only be legalized with the approval of a variance. The commission indicated a preference for seeing a fully code compliant project, which is the project that's before you today. As a result of restoring the project to its original scope, 20 unauthorized dwelling units will be removed, which includes 17 existing households. Most of these households are non-native English speaking. Following last, fall's, uh, last spring's hearing, where the city heard from no tenants, the city engaged in two proactive public outreach meetings hosted at the project site and then at the Portola Library. Through these two meetings, the city was able to engage with the tenants who were predominantly unaware of the property's history of violations. We provided information around next steps and this upcoming hearing and we contacted tenants, connected tenants with various city services and resources. These meetings were attended by planning department, Supervisor Ronan's office, the Department of Building Inspection, the Rent Board, the Mayor's Office of Housing, and Community Development. Translation services were provided. In preparation for this hearing, the city asked the project sponsor to provide a tenant plan as a way of providing some insight into the phasing and timing of construction so that tenants can have a better idea of when they will be required to vacate their units. The planning department never received such a plan and thus we created our own proposal for a construction phasing plan labeled as Exhibit C and mailed out prior to the hearing but we have now just distributed an updated version with some minor edits to you. We are asking the commission to adopt that as part of the conditions of approval. The department finds that with the conditions outlined in the draft motion, including exhibit C, the project is on balance consistent with the objectives and policies of the general plan. The project approval would bring the existing building into compliance with the planning code and ultimately the building code and restores the building to its original approved use and design. Although the department is typically supportive of legalizing unauthorized dwelling units, in the case of this project, the amount of construction that would be required to legalize the units would be so extensive that displacement of all the residential tenants would likely be necessary during construction. In addition, legalization of the as-built conditions would not be fully code compliant and would necessitate a rear yard variance. The department also finds the project to be necessary, desirable, and compatible with the surrounding neighborhood as it would restore the previously approved architectural design and would begin to bring the outstanding violations at this property to resolution. Thank you, commissioners. That concludes my presentation, and I am available for questions. Very good. Thank you, Kimberly. Project sponsor, you have five minutes.
Thank you very much, Commissioners. Ryan Patterson on behalf of the project sponsor. Uh, commissioners, I want to start by thanking staff and yourselves. Uh, nothing about this project has been easy. A tremendous amount of work has gone into getting us to this point today, and I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you. Uh, the team that has, uh, is working on this at this point was brought in after these issues were discovered, uh, brought in to solve the problems. Uh, this is not anyone from the original team that worked on the original project or construction along the way. Um, the project that you see before you today is not what the owner's first choice was. Uh, this is what we were instructed to bring to you. And uh, our sincere hope is that this is acceptable and allows us to uh, close this chapter and bring it to a resolution. Uh, I will keep my remarks very brief at this point, uh, since a lot has been said already. Uh, very briefly, the new exhibit C that you were just presented, uh, I, I do need to object to a phasing plan being imposed on the project, since this is beyond the scope of uh, this body's authority. But to be clear, the owners are open to uh, phasing construction to try to minimize impacts. Uh, there are a couple issues with the phasing plan that you've been presented with. Uh, one is that the timelines to complete construction are implausibly short. Uh, the first building is required to finish construction within 30 days, which is, you know, I'm not sure of a construction uh, maybe that's been changed, but that's uh, what we were given earlier. Uh, and the second through sixth buildings are required to finish construction within 60 days. So unless that has changed, uh, these time frames are just unrealistic. And we don't want to be in a situation where we are uh, setting ourselves up to violate the conditions. I'd rather have something reasonable that we can uh, make sure that we meet. Uh, the second item is the actual sequencing of buildings. Uh, this plan proposes that we start with the sixth building and then go sequentially uh, building after building next door, as you can see from the last page of this document, the Exhibit C. Uh, that may work, but we don't know yet. Uh, this is uh, until the commission votes on this and the building department approves a project and we have a permit, we don't know exactly what the project is going to be and there may be construction sequencing necessities that make it faster or simpler or preferable uh, to take a different ordering of buildings. Uh, so we would appreciate the commission's uh, deferral of timelines to the building department, permit validity periods, and sequencing of which buildings are worked on at each time uh, to the owners and the contractors once we know exactly what the project is. Um, a couple very minor points. Uh, there is still some discussion about what the in-lieu fees are, uh, which I think will differ from what was in the original packet before you today. Uh, that's still being discussed with staff. And as an update, there are currently 16 occupied units, is my understanding. So thank you again for your time. I'm happy to answer any questions and look forward to moving ahead. Okay, if that concludes the project sponsor's presentation, we should open up public comment. Sorry, Commissioner Diamond, did you need to interject right now? 
I'm wondering if we can just get a clarification before we go any further. There appears to be, I think, a disagreement between staff and the project sponsor as to the time frame for construction of each building. And before we start to take public comment, I'd like to make sure we're all on the same page as to what that is. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, some illumination of the phasing plan would be um, perhaps ideal because public commenters may have additional comments on yeah. the phasing plan. Mr. Patterson, I have a question for you in that regard. My understanding is that city staff prepared this. Your client did not prepare this phasing plan, even though it was requested. Can you share why it was not prepared by your client? I don't have full information about that. Uh, that's a request that we passed along. Um, okay. Well, I just want to make it clear. It's pretty upsetting to have it be requested, not provided, and then to have additional requests be made. And I'll just say for my part, I am very loath to take any of this part of this project and put it off to later. That is not going to happen. So um, thank you for your request. Perhaps staff can illuminate a little bit about the phasing plan and sure. share what it is and why it, we see it in the format that we see it today. Absolutely. Um, so I'll just kick it off. There were to us, there were really four important things that we wanted to ensure were addressed before this commission took action on the project, given the fact that there are so many families occupying these units. Um, first, we wanted to have confidence that um, the permit would actually be pulled in a timely manner. The way the permitting system works right now, the, the city family will approve a permit, but it's then up to the discretion of the applicant of when they actually pay for it and pull it to begin construction. And there's a pretty generous time frame. So we wanted to have that be very short. That's one week in this phasing plan. So we wanted to make that clear. Um, secondly, we wanted to make sure that every single building would have a pre-inspection before construction starts so that the general contractor could get on the same page with the city inspector and that the whole city family would know construction was about to begin. We thought that um, expectation setting and, and coordination was critical. Third, we wanted to make sure there were very defined construction timelines so that construction did not drag on for years and decades, <laughs> um, which through the current process that could happen with through revisions and extension requests and payment of fees. So we wanted to put some limitations on that. Um, on that point, I just do want to clarify um, what Mr. Patterson cited is not accurate. So the phasing plan for the first building, um, it's in paragraph 3A subsection um, 1, 2. It's three months, not 30 days. And then for all subs, and that building is fairly far along, which is why we put a short timeline on it. Um, the other buildings all have six month timelines associated with it, which is outlined in paragraph um, B2 and then uh, commensurate subsections throughout. So I wanted to Can clarify. Can you share that why point. there's that difference in time? Why one is three months and the other are six? Is there? Sure, yep. Yeah. The first building is fairly far along. There are no tenants in the building. The building is fairly far along. It was stopped mid construction. So we felt like three months was the amount of time needed to finish. Um, the other buildings are going to require deconstruction. Um, have you know tenants are in there there's going to need to be deconstruction there's going to be a lot more work I think th that we're anticipating that may need to happen to those units so we want to give a bit more flexibility um, then going back the fourth point of this plan and the intent of the plan um, was to give a lot of certainty and to me this is the most important part certainty to tenants around options that they have to either relocate elsewhere to other vacant units on the building either finished units or open units or at least give them a clear timeline of when they personally will be impacted and have to make some choices about when they need to leave. So that's what this plan does. Great, thank you for that overview. Uh, do I see Commissioner Moore the hand and if other, others have questions just on this phasing plan and then we'll go to public comment. 
Any other questions? I don't see any. Oh, uh, one oh, other sorry. really important thing that I think is important to put in here, and this is redlined um, on page three, it's uh, paragraph 4B, um, is we did add, um, since we originally emailed it out, a note to say that the zoning administrator does have the authority administratively to approve minor modifications without it coming back to the commission. Um, this is a fairly typical language that the zoning administrator often has authority to do so. Um, and the purpose of that is if for whatever reason there is a delay due to either um, rent board adjudication hearings or other court proceedings or things of that nature that are either um, delays on behalf of the city or um, sort of quasi-judicial functions that um, the zoning administrator can allow for extensions based on those things in his judgment. I think that seems to give some flexibility because there are certainly unknowns, but at the same time keeping things going apace. Okay, we don't have any other questions, so I think we can turn to our public comment now. Very good. At this time, we will open up public comment for this item. Uh, we do have interpreters who are here for both Cantonese and Spanish. If you are in need of translation services, please submit your testimony in short intervals to allow interpreters to translate your testimony. Each speaker will be allowed two minutes, and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons participating via WebEx, please raise your hand when public comment is called for the item you're interested in speaking to. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call area code 415-655-0001 and enter access code 2487-758-1058, then press pound. You'll need to enter pa the password 0216, then press pound again. At this point, you should be able to listen to the hearing live. You'll need to wait for the item you're interested in speaking to and for public comment to be announced. To comment, you must enter star three to raise your hand. And once you've raised your hand, you will hear a prompt that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls upon you. Uh, when you hear the prompt that you're being asked to unmute yourself, to unmute, press star six, you need to press star six. When you hear that you're, you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. I would like to again emphasize that if you're in need of translation service, please submit your testimony in short intervals to allow the interpreters to translate your testimony. For those attending in person, please line up on the screen side of the room. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. I will now ask that the um, interpreters translate these instructions into Cantonese and Spanish. Yinjohaikungfa 當討論到你有興趣發言的項目時請舉手
，再輸入密碼零二一六，然後按啊井號嘅。咁呢個時間咧，就你應該聽到現場嘅啊公聽會。如果需要呢個項目發言，對呢個項目有啊啊啊有興趣發言嘅話，可以喺啊開放公眾發言嘅時間發言。咁然之後喺發言前咧，就按星號三舉手。誒、嗯、舉手後，你會聽到你已舉手提問，再等候主持人通知你可以開始發言時再發言。誒、嗯、等候你嘅發言嘅時候，當你聽到系統要求你取消靜音，再取消靜音後，請按星號六。當你聽到靜音已取消時，即可以開始發言。如果需要傳譯，喺發言時稍作停頓，以便傳譯員發誒傳譯。喺場需要進行公眾發言嘅人士，請到房內嘅熒誒屏幕下排隊準備。在發言時，請把耳速放慢，以及清楚表達，以作記錄。多謝 ，thank you。Buenas tardes. Ahora abriremos el elemento para comentarios públicos. Los intérpretes están presentes para cantones y español. Si necesita un servicio de traducción, envíe su testimonio en intervalos cortos para permitir que los intérpretes traduzcan a su testimonio. A cada orador se le permitirá hasta tres minutos. Cuando te queden 30 segundos, escuchará un timbre que indica que su tiempo casi se ha acabado. Cuando se alcance el tiempo asignado, anunciaré que se acabó su tiempo y tomaré a la siguiente persona en fila para hablar. Primero tomaremos comentarios públicos de personas en el ayuntamiento y luego abriremos la línea de acceso remoto. Para aquellas personas que participen a través de WebEx, levante la mano cuando se solicite un comentario público para el artículo con el que está sobre el cual él está interesado en hablar. Para aquellas personas que llamen para presentar su testimonio, Llame al teléfono 415-655-0001. Ingrese el código de acceso 2487-758-1058 y luego el hashtag. Ingrese la contraseña 0216 y luego el hashtag. En este punto debería poder escuchar la audiencia, la audición en vivo. Espere a que se anuncie el artículo sobre el cual está interesado en hablar y a que se anuncie el comentario público. Para comentar, debe ingresar asterisco 3 para levantar la mano. Una vez que levante la mano, escuchará el mensaje. Ha levantado la mano para hacer una pregunta. Por favor, espere para hablar hasta que el anfitrión le llame. Espere a que, el, a que vuelva a hablar. Cuando escuche el mensaje, se le pide que reactive su audio. Para activar el audio, presione asterisco 6. Debe ingresar asterisco 6. Cuando escuche, no está silenciado. Esa es su indicación para comenzar a hablar. Me gustaría enfatizar una vez más. Si necesita un servicio de traducción, envíe su testimonio en, de su testimonio en intervalos cortos para permitir que los intérpretes traduzcan su testimonio. Para aquellos que asistan en persona, por favor, alíñense al lado de la pantalla de la sala. Por favor, hable clara, claro y lentamente, y si le interesa decir su nombre, puede hacerlo. Ahora pide, uh, empezará la audiencia. Thank you. Come on up. 
Again, through the chair, you'll have two minutes. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Mark Hushmand. I'm an attorney in San Francisco that assists tenants who are facing evictions. I really appreciate your time and attention to this matter. This has been an unfortunate situation that's been going on for far too many years, starting with owners who illegally constructed apartments in violation of the city's rules. They've flouted notices of violation for many years and even faced a lawsuit by the city that they settled and still have done nothing. To the extent today that the project sponsor cannot offer any indication as to why they have not engaged with the city and trying to come up with a plan, that should be extremely concerning. And there's zero assurance that they're gonna do anything to attempt to keep people housed in safe housing in San Francisco. I know that's a major concern of yours, and um, I'd appreciate you do whatever you can to keep people housed, and I recognize that you're dealing with a difficult situation that involves unsafe housing and that you're trying to do your best. I would appreciate the chance also to engage in a dialogue with the city to see what I can do to help out. And I would ask that um, here where the owners have made hundreds of thousands of extra dollars renting apartments in San Francisco, benefiting from their wrongs, that they be held to account and use that money to see, even if it's temporary displacement, that that money helps. And we can see if maybe um, as many of the families, hardworking um, residents of San Francisco can continue to remain housed. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hello, Uh, hi, uh, everybody. Uh, my name is Kok Ying Yu. Uh, I'm 80 years old, and I'm one of the tenants uh, affected uh, by this project. Uh, now I feel very helpless. Um, uh, me and my wife, uh, uh, who is uh, 71 years old, uh, we did not receive uh, any notice or any written uh, notice or verbal notice. Uh, uh, from uh, from the authorized um, uh, organization, and now um, uh, we are notified that uh, we need to uh, move out from the place uh, we live right now. Uh, I feel very helpless. Uh, 
Um, uh, I just uh, don't uh, understand. Yeah, uh, I have been uh, living at this uh, um, place uh, for six years uh, already, and we use uh, uh, Section 8 uh, to rent uh, this uh, unit. And, and actually, uh, also, um, the, uh, the department, um, the housing department, they already uh, invest uh, this uh, unit uh, before, and they agree that uh, we can live here uh, legally. So now we are very confused, and we don't know how to do it. We uh, so uh, now I, uh, me and my uh, wife uh, feel uh, very uh, helpless, and we don't know uh, what uh, what we need uh, to do. And and uh, once I think about, uh, I will soon uh, become uh, homeless, and then uh, I really um, uh, worry. So now,我们觉得很惨,就来好像做人口这样,就来要睡觉的人,所以我很希望政府帮助我们,我们人又老,什么都不懂,所以我们真的很希望政府跟我们出头,要求业主做出最好的合理的安排和赔偿。Um, uh, our situation is uh, really sad, uh, so I really uh, help uh, the government uh, can help us. We are, uh, we are elderly people and we don't know uh, much about the uh, housing uh, policy, so I wish uh, the government uh, can help us and give us a good uh, planning, and uh, I uh, really uh, uh, wish uh, the government uh, can help us uh, to, to give us a good uh, arrangement. Thank you. That's his time. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Come 令我們老來有地方落腳,渡過萬年。Thank you. Hi, my name is Kam Su Tu. I'm 71 years old. As you just heard from my husband, that we, about what the situation that we have been, we are facing right now. And when thinking about that we are going to be become homeless and have no place to live and at this age, and you can imagine how sad what are we facing, and then utterly hopeless of us. So by thinking, just by thinking of it, we just can't stop and can't control ourselves that we cry. And especially when we think about what we are we going to stay at, 
become a homeless, stay on the street, and hoping that uh, you can, as a government, can hear us and please you help us to solve this problem and help us to uh, deal with this issue. Thank you. Hi, Commissioner. My name is Celia Yu. Kuan Yin Yu and Kim Shrito, they are my parents. They are living in the second floor on one of the uh, buildings. My parents recently noticed that uh, the situation and the owner did not give them any communication verbally or written. We're hoping that the city take respon responsibility to help them uh, because the city didn't do a good job to be a good gatekeeper to inspect the building, and the San Francisco Housing Authority also did not notice anything when they come to the unit to check before signing off my parents' Section 8 voucher. My parents is really hope to get the following help. First, DT, DTHP voucher for my parents to have priority to getting the affordable housing so they can find a house to live and not being a homeless on the street. And even though the owner legalized the building, my parents will not be able to stay in the original unit as the third and fourth floor will be the residential. With my parents' body limitations, they definitely won't be able to climb up all the stairs daily. And using the Session 8 voucher, finding another place to live in the private market is very difficult in San Francisco. Two, extension. Give the tenants and my parents enough time to find a place to move out temporary and figure out what the next step are. The landlord need to take responsibility to pay for the cost of the temporary housing. By hearing all my parents thinking and having the emotional breakdown is really hard, not only for them, but the entire family. And I really hope that you guys can help them and the entire tenants. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Alicia Sandoval Bustos. I'm the lead Spanish-speaking uh, counselor at Housing Rights Committee. I was approached by several city departments to help in outreaching to the tenants. Uh, uh, we had a, uh, three successful meetings with the tenants. Uh, the last two meetings, we had over 20 tenants in each meeting. Um, as you can see, um, I've been working with the tenants since uh, November of last year. The tenants are scared. They're scared that they're gonna be evicted. They're scared that they're gonna be displaced. We know, we know, I've been with Housing Rights for seven years. We hear every day how landlords or owners find loopholes to evict tenants. It's not fair. We know what the landlord or the owner did, right? We know that. But who are the victims here? The victims are the tenants. Imagine putting the tenants' lives at risk, their families. There's, we don't know what the needs of the tenants. Some of them might be uh, need ADA, uh, reasonable accommodation. 
it's unfair. It's unfair for the tenants to be paying, to be paying for the mistakes of the owner. The only solution that I see is for the landlord or the owner to legalize all units, to bring them up to code, and to pay to relocate temporarily, or if they can try to do the work without displacement, and a right to return at the same rent they were paying. They also, and also seeking back pay rent. Another possibility would be for the city to acquire the property and legalize all units. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be penalizing the tenants. Thank you, that's your time. Can I do something? That's your time, ma'am, but if we have extra questions, we can ask you. Thank you so much for your work. Okay, next speaker, please. If you plan on submitting testimony, please line up on the screen side of the room. Go ahead, ma'am. Mi nombre es Karen Orellana. Yo soy un inquilino en el 96 Wall Street. He vivido ahí por casi cinco años. I am a tenant at, um, uh, so I, I'm a tenant at 96 Wesley Street. I have lived there five years. Hace poco me informaron de lo que estaba pasando en el edificio. Just a, a while ago, I was informed what was happening in the building. Que está oh, I'm sorry, to interrupt you. If you don't hold that section, <sighs> it's not going to static. Go ahead. Que está mal construido. That the building was badly constructed. El propietario nunca nos informó. The owner never informed us. Sobre lo que estaba pasando. About pasando. what was happening. Nunca nos llegó una nota o alguien. We never received any notification from anyone. O alguien que nos dijera sobre lo que estaba sucediendo. Or anybody to inform us what was happening. Ahora me preocupa mucho cómo mi familia está en riesgo. Now I'm so worried about the risk that my family is in. Y no sabremos qué pasará ahora. And we don't know what's going to happen now. En los cuales, en nuestro apartamento tenemos tres menores de edad. In our apartment we have three minors. Los cuales están en riesgo y necesitamos una respuesta. And they're in danger and we need an answer. Y cómo poner nuestra familia a salvo. And how can we save our family? Hay muchos en nuestro edificio. There are many people in our building. Que están preocupados por la misma situación. That are worried about the same situation. Sabemos que la renta en San Francisco es muy cara. We know that the rent in San Francisco is too expensive. También lo difícil que ahora será encontrar un hogar. And it's very difficult now to find a place to live. Por ejemplo, en mi caso, For example, in my case, yo tengo un bebé de un año. I have a baby that's one years old. Trabajo y estudio. I work and I go to school at the university. Y no tengo los recursos necesarios para pagar demasiada renta. And I don't have the financial resources to pay uh, too much for rent. Ahora encontrar un nuevo hogar se hará bien estresante y preocupante. And right now to find a new place to live would be very stressful and worrisome. Ahora espero irme con una respuesta de cómo poner a mi familia a salvo. And now I want to leave with a 
answer, how am I going to be able to save my family? Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Shante Beck. I am at 2897 San Bruno. Um, I've been there, I believe, six years with my daughter. Um, so I also didn't know anything about anything that was going on up until November of 2022. Um, basically, my ask is just that you guys do legalize the units as they are if they're brought up to code because you guys allowing to legalize the 10 units will still leave a lot of families uh, displaced. Um, so my daughter goes to school close by, I work close by, her pediatrician is close by. I would prefer to stay where I'm at, but I feel that the only way that could happen is if the units are legalized as they are and brought up to code. Um, yeah, so that's my ask, thank you. Okay, any additional speakers in the chambers? Could you give these out to the commissioners while I'm talking? I had one for, oh, here we go. Sorry. So, so I'm Georgia Shudish, and um, I just want to talk about Lot 22 because, um, you know, I, I don't like to cast aspersions, but I feel like this is a really sinful project. And I think part of the original sin was what happened at Lot 22. And um, I did a public records request, and I found the uh, demo calcs for the CU that was withdrawn by the uh, previous... Uh, architect and project sponsor. I guess the same project sponsor. I don't know. But the demo calcs make no sense. And if you think about when they were, were uh, put forward, that was 2013. And that was just after the uh, SF Weekly article where, you know, there was sort of a bragging about what was going on with the demo calcs. Um, I did make a mistake in the handout I sent you the other day. Uh, I'll it's, I'll write you a correction. It's not really important. But the thing I wanted to point out about was uh, I also, when I did the public works request, I got the environmental file. And if you look on the back of the handout that I gave you, uh, it's the original building permit for when the thing was built in 1950. And it's in your files, and I saw it. And the thing I put the little pink arrow on says, is building designed for any more stories? And it says no. And this is lot 22, and that had vertical expansion, not one floor, but two floors, which is very unusual for these, these fake alterations that are really demos that I've been talking about. It had all the characteristics, vertical expansion, facade changes, and horizontal. And I think that, you know, I don't know if this project set the tone for the rest of the project on the, where the gas station used to be, but it just raises the issue that by two from 2009 to 2013, the demo calcs were never adjusted, 
and the staff in 2009, March 26, 2009, when the CID was put in, said they were going to be adjusted, adjusted. So that's all. Thank you. And I hope something works out for all these people because they deserve it. Okay. Any other members of the public in the chambers? Please come forward. Hola, mi nombre es Luz García y yo vivo en el edificio en el piso 2. Y este no es justo que uno pague tres mil dólares de renta al mes con trabajos los juntas para que te digan que esos son oficinas, porque pagas por un pagas por unos apartamentos y resulta que son oficinas. Hello, my name is Luz García. I live on the second floor. I want to say that it's not fair that you pay for a, an apartment that's uh, supposed to be an apartment and not a, an office building. I pay $3,000 a month. Este, ya, yo ya tengo siete años allí, en cual tengo un niñito de 11 años que tiene un síndrome y no camina bien. Entonces, no se me hace justo que uno busca un lugar bueno para poner uno de sus hijos y resulta esto que pasó. I've been there for seven years. I have an 11-year-old child who has a syndrome and who cannot um, move well. It's not fair. Uh, we want to take care of our children there. It's not good for him. And Porque el niño necesita mucho de mí para poder subir. It's not fair. I live on the second floor and I cannot move to the third or fourth floor because of my child's conditions. Um, it's not fair that these rules are imposed and I can't, may not be able to come back. Y sí me gustaría regresar allí, pero que los arreglaran bien como debe de ser. Porque uno pues tiene que trabajar, dejar niños, dejar los niños. Pero no sabes que donde pagas tanto dinero, corremos peligro. Y lo importante aquí para los padres, pues son los hijos que uno tiene. I would like to come back, but I would like these um, units to be fixed. Um, we work there, and I work, and then I need to leave my children there. I need to know that this place is not dangerous for them, especially since we pay so much money. Pues ojalá nos puedan ayudar a, a en ese problema que tenemos. Porque abusaron de uno. Ven, como te venden algo, como te hacen fraude, pues, porque no es lo que te ofrecen. I hope you can help us because they, this was an abuse. It was a fraud because they sell you one thing and this is not what you get. This is not what they offered. Es todo. Muchas gracias. Ojalá nos puedan ayudar a todos. That's all. Thank you so much. I hope you can help us all. Okay, if there are no more persons in the chambers, we're going to go to our remote callers. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Ozzy Realm with San Francisco Land Use Coalition and Millie Neighborhood Council. This project is the classic case for demonstrating that planning's racial and social justice mantra is nothing but lip service. 
Take a good look at all the people of color, elderly and low-income families in jeopardy of becoming homeless and tell us if you can approve this so-called resolution for legalizing this building. For one, the developer has not even bothered to provide a tenant relocation plan. The packet for this project has a blank page for Exhibit C, and yet planning felt comfortable to present this so-called resolution for you to approve today. Planning's recommendation in lieu of the absence of Exhibit C is not good enough. The public doesn't even know what those recommendations are. How could this be kosher? Giving heads up to tenants about when they should leave because of the construction is not a relocation plan. It's a benefit plan for the developers. Secondly, being out instead of providing BMR units on site is completely contradictory to the need for housing production that planning and this commission repeat over and over again. This is doublespeak. The developers should be forced to offer these units on site and not fee out. The resolution presented to you today rewards a lawless developer who will empty this building of tenants, of people of color, of elderly, low-income families, and will sell these units, including the additional ones, for gargantuan prices. So tell us, is this okay to approve this project? Can you possibly approve this project in good conscience? I urge you not to approve this project. Think about the people cost as opposed to the construction cost. Thank you. I think there was someone in the chamber who wanted to speak. I don't know if you want to go back and forth okay. or do all. Let's take the next person in the chambers. Let's hold off on our remote callers. Thank you. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Celia Paz. Yo soy rentora del edificio de la San Bruno Avenue. Y nosotros hasta ahorita estamos esperando una respuesta de los dueños o alguien de los encargados que los diga algo, qué es lo que está pasando. Hello, my name is Celia Paz. I'm a tenant in San Bruno Avenue, and to this, uh, at this moment, we are still waiting for some response from the owners, from the landlords, to tell us what's going on. Así como ellos, cuando empezó la pandemia, este, a mí en persona me cobraban, me cambiaron los pagos de la fecha, me cobraban dinero extra, así quisiera que ellos se enfrentaran a hablar con, con uno en el edificio. Just like when the pandemic started, in person they came to me to change my payments. They charged extra and they changed my payment date. Incluso de una, yo no sé si es de las encargadas, yo le dejé un dinero que le había reunido a mi hija, con mi hija, y mi hija tuvo el error de no pedir recibo. Vino y perdí yo en el tiempo de pandemia, perdí tres mil dólares porque se le había entregado cinco mil dólares a la persona. Y solo porque mi hija se lo dio en un sobre, no le entregó recibo, me trató a mi hija hasta de loca. So, uh, the housing agent um, received money from my daughter at one point, did not give her a receipt. It was $5,000. We lost that $5,000 because this person did not even give her a receipt. Hasta el sol de hoy, no, si no, nosotros no lo dábamos cuenta de lo que estaba pasando, yo sentía algo sospechoso porque un día 
le dije, me dijo el encargado que iba a llegar a inspección, uno de los encargados, según encargado. Up until this day, um, we didn't really know what was going on, but I was a little bit suspicious because one of the agents in charge came up, one of the supposed agents. Y entonces yo miraba que ya era tarde y no llegaba nadie, le llamé y le dije, Marvin, va a venir en la inspección, ¿qué pasó? No, me dice, ya le enseñé un apartamento y le dije que eran iguales todos. ¿Por qué? Le dije um, and so he wasn't coming. It was late. I called him. I said, Marvin, where are you? He goes, no, no. I already showed you an apartment. They're all the same. Pues entonces yo me, me acosté a dormir porque en ese tiempo yo trabajaba solo de noche. Entonces, de ahí miraba yo de que llegaban, tenían securities y yo preguntaba que qué pasaba y hasta el sol de hoy nunca los han dado ninguna respuesta. And so I went to sleep because I work at night, but I saw that there were security personnel around and I would ask what's going on, but up until this day they haven't given us a response. Ustedes saben de que lo difícil que está conseguir renta aquí en San Francisco, hace seis años a mí me costó encontrar ese lugar y no, sin saber de que estaba yo y mi hija menor de edad en peligro, no teníamos ni gradas de emergencia. Okay. So, you know, this was really, you know how difficult it is to rent here in San Francisco. And when I found this place six years ago, it was hard to find then. I have a minor daughter. And at that point, the stairs were not um, correct. Las gradas? Sí. No teníamos. Entonces, habían veces nosotros sin saber que estábamos en peligro. Habían veces que a medianoche o a tales horas de la madrugada teníamos que salir corriendo porque las alarmas se disparaban. No sé por qué, porque la, la cosa del agua de emergencia se disparaba. Y imagínense, salíamos a toda hora de la noche. Incluso mi vecina de enfrente sabe que habían veces que a mediodía teníamos que salir corriendo, yo tocándoles puertas a los vecinos. So there were times where we would have to leave the dwelling in, um, in, a, in a rush because there was, um, there was, the alarms would go off, the water sprinklers would go off. I'd go across the street to see my um, neighbor and you the same continue. thing was going on with them. Okay. Thank you. Thank That's you your much. time. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, any other members in the chambers that wish to submit testimony, please do so now. Otherwise, we're going to go to our remote callers. If there's anybody else who wants to speak, please come forward to the microphone now to share. Ma'am, did you want to speak? Hola, mi nombre es Betty. Un momento, por favor, déjame llegar. Ok, ok, sí. Uh, mi nombre es Betty, este, yo tengo seis años aproximadamente de vivir ahí. Y la verdad, nosotros no sabíamos nada de lo que estaba pasando hace poco. Hi, my name is Betty. I've been living there for six years. And the truth is, we didn't know uh, until recently uh, anything about what was happening. Uh, yo tengo dos niños menores de edad. I have two minor children, uh, a baby of one year old, a six year old daughter, and we just barely found out about this about a month ago. We didn't know anything. Como dice mi vecina, la que pasó hace poco, cada rato llegaban a inspeccionar, pero no sabíamos porque no nos decían nada. 
Ni idea teníamos de lo que estaba pasando. As my neighbor who spoke earlier said, uh, people would show up to inspect all the time, but we didn't know anything. They weren't saying anything to us. Y luego pues ya he ido a como a dos sesiones y ahí es que me he enterado de lo que ha pasado, de que los piensan desalojar y nosotros no tenemos para dónde moverlos. And so I recently went to two sessions, and that's when, informational sessions, and that's when we found, I found out that they're trying to evict us, and we have nowhere to go. And I just hope that you can help us, that's all. Thank you. I'm going to ask the interpreters to announce that if any other members of the public in the chambers would like to submit their testimony, to please line up on the screen side of the room so that we can get people coming up a little bit faster. Muy buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Rosibel Mesa. Bueno, estoy ante estoy presentes aquí para... Quiero saber y dar a entender por qué el dueño no presentan las caras aquí frente de ustedes, porque el riesgo que nosotros tenemos es muy complicado. Nosotros my, my name is Rosibel Mesa, and I want to know why the landlord is not here showing their face, because the danger we are in uh, under is grave. Nosotros tenemos dos bebés en nuestro hogar. Tenemos nosotros Hay familia que estamos padeciendo de muchas enfermedades. El principal yo, yo me caí de la grada, me golpeé un pie, pero lastimosamente yo no fui al médico inmediatamente. We have two babies at home, and there are many of us in my household who have illnesses. I fell down those stairs, um, but unfortunately I didn't go to the doctor. ¿Por qué ellos no dieron una información de lo que está pasando? En los apartamentos no los explican el motivo y la razón. ¿Por qué? ¿Por qué se quedan callados? ¿Por qué no los avisan? Si nosotros somos seres humanos igual a ellos. Why didn't they give us information? Why didn't they explain to us what was going on, the motives and the reason? Why did they remain silent? We're human beings. Ellos tienen que ser bien responsables porque lo que tienen en, el, en los edificios son personas, no son animales. Ellos tienen que respetar el derecho de nosotros también. They have to be responsible because what they have in these buildings are people, not animals. They have to respect us as well. En mi caso, yo no tengo a dónde irme a vivir con tu familia. Yo soy de bajos recursos. Gano en mi trabajo un demasiado poquito dinero. No tengo a dónde irme a buscar otro lugar a donde vivir con mi familia. In my case, I have nowhere to go. I earn very little money. I'm low income. I have nowhere else to go with my family. Yo quiero que por favor ustedes nos ayuden a seguir adelante en esto, ayudarlos a cómo podemos hacer en este caso. Porque yo en mi caso con mi familia no me puedo ir a vivir en la calle principal por los niños. I want you to please help us to tell us how we're going to continue because in my case, I can't go to live on the street. I have children. Yo ya tengo seis años de estar ahí y nunca había sabido ninguna mala información. Hasta ahora que yo he ido a dos reuniones porque no lo decían cuando habían reuniones ni nada. Dos reuniones que yo fui que me dieron a saber de lo que está pasando ahorita. Vieron I, el piso número dos. I've been living there seven, excuse me, six years, and they never gave us any information. It wasn't until I assisted these two uh, reunions that I found out they gave us no information. 
I live on the second floor. Pero yo, yo espero que ustedes, todo el personal de ustedes, los den una respuesta, los den una solución, que los apoyen. I expect from all of you that you would, uh, will respond to us and that you will give us a solution and that you will support us. Y que le pongan, pues, un poco más atención a esto. Y al, que le pongan a los, a los dueños más un poco de presión que cómo los van a ayudar, porque no los vamos a ir a la calle. And that you pay more attention to this and you put more pressure on the owners because how are you going to help us? We're not going into the streets. Pues, eso es todo y muchísimas gracias y que tengan una feliz tarde. That's all. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a lovely afternoon. Okay, we're going to go back to our remote callers. Again, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Hi, my name is Alex Hobbs. I am part of the Portola Neighborhood Association. And we've been part of this project in terms of trying to deal with the mess we have here since 2018. And it's kind of astounding that the people who live in this building are just finding out about now and that we're even still here and it's 2023. Um, I don't even really know what to say as we kind of just enter into like a deeper circle of hell with this mess. But the narrative that I feel I hear through all these conversations is that these developers don't care. They don't care about anyone's time they're wasting and they're looking to everyone here to solve their problems. Um, and they're not coming with any solutions. And I want to know, and I think the PNA board wants to know is what is the city going to do about this? Because it really doesn't feel like anything's happening with maybe the exception of Hillary Ronan, who's gone to rally the people who live in these units. And the idea of creating some sort of a forced phased relocation project or uh, a way to protect these people to live there while construction goes on is a first step, but it has got to be dialed into a T to hold all these people accountable, and it needs to be communicated to the people who live there and also to the broader community that this thing is being handled, because it sure doesn't feel that way now. And to add, just for the record, on top of everything else they've done, we as a community are trying to build a greenway behind all these buildings so the people who live in these apartments have green space. And we come to find out that the building owners have actually encroached onto Caltrans public lands, expanded their backyard into public space, stolen that from the people of California. It went unrecognized until we found out, and now they've quietly moved the fence back into the revised plans. That is your time. Again, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Hey. Am I on? You are. Thank you. My name is Maggie White. I'm the chair of the Portal and Neighborhood Association. Um, I agree with everything Alex said. And I did want to note, it's been a gross disregard, flaws and norms throughout. It's unfortunate this ever occurred, and I feel so badly for the tenants. 
The ongoing disregard by the developers is creating havoc for the tenants and it's unfair to them. The Planning Commission has done some really great work here. And so, um, as Alex noted previous to me, there's still, you know, they need to be watched for encroaching on the Caltrans property. The cul-de-sac with the parking there is a mess, and so I hope that there can be something about that address. There could be nine to 12 cars all blocking each other in at the cul-de-sac. I do think it's unfortunate that they, um, there's an option here to pay their way out of affordable housing. Um, and we know the, the Portland Neighborhood Association hopes there is action to deny any further building in the city for each of the individuals involved and the business entity as they continue to demonstrate disregard for norms. And I apologize to each of the people here in this meeting for the impact. And I wish that they would do the same kind of thing, come forward, make apologies, and make it right. I agree that there needs to be a that they pay for to cover temporary housing and rehousing for all of these very unfortunate tenants. My heart goes out to you all. Thank you. My name is Francisco de Costa. I have uh, heard the uh, those responsible at the building in, uh, inspection during the commission talk about this building. There's an article that says that this uh, developer has agreed for $1.2 million uh, to ratify what is happening in this building. So I'm asking the planning department, have you all consulted with the Department of Building Inspection? Have you all brought this to the notice of the mayor? Have you brought this to the notice of the, the supervisor so that every tenant can be made whole? This is a sanctuary city. And the planning department must be have empathy, not compassion. Anyone can have compassion. You have to have empathy, because empathy calls for action. And I'm, I'm watching y'all as the people are speaking, and I don't see empathy. You know, come and share. Come and share what? Come and share what? These people will be put on the street. Has any one of y'all slept in a tent on the street in the inclement weather? Y'all are making a mockery of yourself. Call the mayor. Call the sheriff. Call the owner. It's time this owner goes to jail. Thank you, sir. That is your time. Again, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Hello, my name is Dennis Richards. This project is the absolute worst example 
of a culture of corruption in the out-of-control criminal enterprise called the Department of Building Inspection. Notorious former senior building inspector Bernie Curran has pleaded guilty to federal felony fraud charges and is awaiting sentencing. Mr. Curran is the one that approved the final inspection on this building, not having had any other inspections done. This is a San Francisco is a city and county is liable for the actions of Mr. Kern that he took while employed there. Even after the $1.2 million settlement, the landlord, the criminal developer, has been enriched by collecting egregious amounts of money from these tenants, making millions of dollars. They shouldn't ever have been asked to pay rent because the building isn't even known to be safe, but should never have had a, a, a CSC. Tenants' lives have been put at risk. You heard the tenants say, don't treat us like animals. This developer is such a bad actor that to this day, you heard some testimony, they haven't been told they are living in an unsafe building. What's going on with the construction of this building, I think the tenants are safer moving out. They need to move out to the landlord's expense, and the landlord is uh, operating in terrible, uh, terrible bad faith. You all know that. It's embarrassing. Once these tenants move out to the construction, they're never going to move back in. They're long gone. So please, commissioners, don't fall for the tenant displacement argument. Some of you newer commissioners are wondering, why do we see projects like this coming before us frequently? Why do we see demolition? that uh, should have gotten, gotten approved first, then come back to the family apartment for permission afterwards. I'm gonna give you the answer, because you, as planning commissioners, proving these are facilitating these bad actors and corruption. Thank you, that is your time. Okay, final last call for public comment. If you're in any of the breakout rooms on our team's uh, websites, you need to call into the 415 area code phone number to submit your testimony. Okay, any last, last call for any members of the public in the chambers? Okay, seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you. So thank you all for coming out. I wanna thank, again, our interpretation staff, for the tenants who are here, for the folks who've helped to organize them. And of course, there are folks who are not here who've also helped to speak to the tenants. Um, I can only agree with the caller who said we just kind of descending into an, a deeper level of hell with this project. It is just goes from bad to worse in ways that I couldn't even have imagined. Um, and so, you know, I, we have our work cut out for us today, commissioners, and deciding, you know, how to go forward. So I'll give Commissioner Koppel the first round of comments. First start by just saying how absolutely incredibly sorry I am this is happening to you guys. This is this is absolutely terrible and I I hope we're going to do everything in all of our powers to make sure this never happens ever again. Uh, this this is unthinkable. I'm I'm Mr. Life Safety Soapbox guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give my spiel like I normally do. Um, but I I really think this has gone too far and things need to be said. Um, I went to five years of electrician school after college, out on Mission Street in Glen Park. We had various textbooks throughout the semesters, but one we had to bring to class every single day. It was our electrical code book, which is our Bible. And if you don't install things up to that code, you're responsible. 
Everything that's written in that book is there because somebody died or a house burned down. It's just like stop signs and red lights. And, and those codes that are required to be adhered to are the absolute bare legal minimum, which must be demonstrated by a developer or contractor and proved to be compliant by an inspector to proceed to the next stage of construction. So construction cannot continue if inspections aren't passed. And if they aren't passed, they need to be redone until they're passed. It's very simple. You either it's pass or fail. Um, so that didn't happen here. Um, and I'm almost guilty of like knowing better. If I, I, I cannot stand behind a project and let people inhabit and dwell in that project if it wasn't inspected throughout the entire process. I mean, this is what they drove into our brains for five years is there's just one thing you gotta do and it's the bare minimum is just build to this, this book of codes that's, that's clearly written in black and white. Um, it's just incredibly disgusting how much time we've spent, you've spent, the department's spent on certain people's ability to just fail at doing the bare minimum and it's, it's just tragic. Um, we can feel every, everything you're saying to us um, we're, we're, we're not happy we're even being put in this position as well. And if we're to legalize a building that wasn't inspected, what kind of precedent is that setting? I'm not okay with that. Um, again, I, something needs to be done for these tenants, some type of forced coordinated relocation program, not to evict them or displace them, but to put them in safe housing at the developer's expense, the owner's expense, whoever literally installed the work improperly is responsible. So I'll add a few comments. Um, you know, we've heard some testimony today from tenants who are here. I really want to again thank you and, and just add my just dismay and sorrow that you're in these positions. I don't think that we as a commission have a lot of good options. We just have options, but none of them are great and none of them are perfect. A few months ago, I guess maybe close to a year ago, we considered in our informational what would we want to do, and we struggled very much with like what's the right thing to do, and chief of mind, I think, for all of us was displacement. How do we prevent displacement and at the same time have a you know a building that becomes safe that we can actually have people live in? And we were looking at, as the staff report reminds us, variances and different ways, like what would it take to get the building up to really the life safety code, not necessarily the planning code, and to retain the units. And it requires some variances and other things from the planning code that really couldn't be supported. The path there was, was far from clear, and my understanding still would require relocation and probably some, some ongoing displacement for some of the tenants. And so we instructed staff to bring what we have, which is a code-compliant project um, that would result ultimately, my understanding, 10 units would be in the building. There's 17 currently occupied units, so seven families, 16, so six families that would not be able to retain residents here. So I have some questions about this plan, but I think with the tenant issues, I think one of the things I am curious about and I, I want to see us put more time into and have it come back to this commission is our department continuing to play the lead of cleanup and taking care of things 
and figuring out with MoCD, with all of our agencies, with different social services, what we can do for these families. And I know some of it's TBD because we don't exactly know who's moving when and who's gonna get relocated and who's not. But I wanna see more in black and white what the options are, what resources are available, what we're looking at for buyouts. I know there's different guidance based on age and kids and other things. I just wanna make sure it's really clear because if it's not clear for us, it's definitely not gonna be clear for other folks. And I wanna make sure we are not just kind of saying, oh, well, it's you know this department's job and this department's job, but this is our job and our commission's gonna figure out what to do. So I wanna see a little bit more. I, I wanna thank staff for taking the effort because the project sponsor apparently couldn't be bothered to come up with a phasing plan. So I think in addition to just the sequencing, I want more information on for those who are displaced, what resources can be made available and what we can do. And I think we, we need to treat this. I remember when I was working in the department, there was a, a bunch of folks who were living underneath a laundromat, completely unsafe condition. And like we had to figure out as a city like what we're gonna do to help those people. And it's gonna have to be probably more than the normal course of business because this occurred not in the normal course of business through no fault of anybody who's living here. So this Exhibit C is a good start, but we need more. And I think it's gonna, I would like to see it come back here for the commission for discussion um, in, in the future. In addition, uh, we have a part of our motion is around ongoing monitoring. And I wanna make sure that the, um, the project sponsor is paying for this ongoing monitoring that our staff will be having to do. Sounds like we're gonna be having ones talk to the tenants. We're gonna have to be the ones talking to everybody, making sure things are happening at a proper pace. And I don't want the taxpayers dollars paying for that. The project sponsor needs to be paying for that. So whether it's through fees or fines, times and materials to deal with the violations, there's no way that this should be coming out of just general fund or out of project fees to pay for this. It's just, it's absurd. Um, what else is on my list here? So I think, I, I, I think the question has been raised through some of the public comments of whether we can or cannot legalize all of the units. And I, while I am very, very troubled by people not having housing, I have to agree with Commissioner Koppel in terms of the safety. Just hearing that there are so many kids that live here and just, it just it is scary, downright scary, just to think about all the folks who are living in offices that are being billed as housing. I mean, this is absurd. This is absolutely absurd. So I wanna see what we can do to really make sure we're wrapping our arms around these families who are being displaced. Um, and in fact, I, I, I wanna make sure all of us also have time to look at this, this plan. This plan also was posted only just this week, and so I don't know if everybody who's an applicant, it's not translated. Like, I wanna make sure that we're really going above and beyond. The one thing I'm sensitive to is time. So I also don't wanna keep this going on and on because the applicant or the product sponsor gets more and more rent every month that goes on. Um, but I do wanna make sure that we're very thorough, we understand, and more importantly, that the the tenants understand exactly what's in this relocation plan, exactly how it affects them. And so um, whether that's something separate that comes back to us in a month from whatever action we may or may not take today, and, and certainly we wanna see it coming back to us frequently to see how things are actually going. So I'm gonna pause there just to see if uh, Director Hillis or Ms. Wadi have any comments to that. Um, and I know there are other staff here from other agencies that may be able to also address things. And then I'm gonna go to Commissioner Apurial and Commissioner Moore and Diamond. Director Hillis. I mean, I would just say we share your frustration that one, the property owner wasn't terribly cooperative because I think we need cooperation from the property owner or additional litigation against the sponsor in order to get them to cooperate. Because as you as you know, there has been a settlement agreement on some issues, but I think the missing piece of that was the, the where the tenants, you know, and what actually happens um, to the tenants in in how they're 
you know, accommodated during this process. So we're happy to put more resources to it. I think, you know, our staff, Supervisor Ronan's staff, the rent board, the city attorney have all been involved and we've gotten great cooperation on the city side. But I think you're right. We want to put kind of more, more teeth into what is in the plan and hopefully get some more cooperation from the landlord too to, to ensure that what's going to happen to the tenants is legally, they're legally bound, it is in your conditions of approval. Um, so we're happy to do that. I mean, we, we share your concern. Thank you. Mr. Ande, did you want to add something? I see you coming over there, but sorry, sorry go ahead. Um, All right, so we'll thank you for that, Director Hills. I would certainly share that. I, I, I think it also just, a question I, I guess I would have is around, you know, we had the settlement agreement. That part of the settlement was them working, I think, diligently with us to pursue this. I don't know if a year later is diligent, but let's say that it is. Um, you know, what are our options? You know, even if we approve this, are they not on the hook until they miss that first deadline? Or like, what what are, is enforcement look like for what we're, What's yeah, I before think, us I think today? We would want to work with the city attorney to see, you know, if we can make the claim they're not compliant with the settlement agreement. And again, I think one piece that wasn't wasn't clearly kind of laid out in the settlement agreement was what, you know, what happens to the tenants and how can we accommodate the tenants in this? So did the settlement agreement ask for a phasing and/or relocation plan? It did not. No, but it, it is worth noting the settlement agreement did require the applicant to basically follow the direction of the city. So do what we ask for by when we ask for it, effectively to remediate the either the legalization or whatever the regulatory process you know leads to. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I do think it is something we will be following up on, on uh, not receiving the tenant plan. Um, that was something we were asking for as part of this entitlement process, yeah. which we didn't receive, but... Um, there were yeah. other limitations. Yeah, and I hope Mr. Patterson, your clients understand when we ask for something, it is a requirement. We expect it to be performed and done diligently and brought to this body. With that, I'm gonna call on Ms. Uh, Commissioner Imperial. Thank you, President Tanner. Um, so um, from the last, um, I think there are many specifics or many information that um, we here at the Planning Commission also and also, um, in terms of the exhibit C that's being in front, um, come you know, in front of us, I think I really want to see more specifics on the the demands of the tenants. As far as I know, the, the exhibit C hasn't really covered of what has the tenants have said in terms of the compensation and back rent. There are some tenants that don't want to be relocated in other units of the building during the construction. So I think us in the planning department um, need to have a working relationship with the, with the tenant's lawyer. Um, I, that's something that I would like to see in the Exhibit C where there is actually specific guidance on the tenants. Um, also, again, there are 17 residential units occupied, and these are going to be 10 units that were going to be dwelling units. I think it's 16 we learned today. Oh, 16, 16 are occupied. Oh, 16. Is that correct? Oh, 16. 16, 17, I mean, it's very yeah, similar. The, the sponsor informed us during his presentation, 16, yeah. we were uh, aware of 17, so we'll go yeah. with 16 for today. So definitely there are, uh, we don't know how many households are actually going to be displaced. I mean, 
And, you know, th I think that is something that, um, again, that will probably be a separate litigation <laughs> for tenants um, in terms of, you know, the, the back rent or the compensation while they have stayed in, th in those buildings. Um, Again, I mean, those are kind of the, the specifics that I would like to see in terms of the relocation for the existing tenants that are going to be, uh, for the units that are going to be legalized, and the units that are, and the families or households that are actually going to be displaced, that there is actually a compensation for them. Um, and not just, um, again, I mean, the buyout or the rent ordinance can push for, you know, it's kind of like a minimum that they do have, but um, I hope that the city and the tenant's lawyer um, can actually work on something for a compensation at the best benefit of the tenants that are actually going to be displaced. Um, and in terms of the relocation, I think we really have to listen to the tenants as to what are their needs. Like, like what we just heard today, there are people that are um, seniors, but probably need reasonable accommodations, or people with um, you know, sing, um, families with children that um, I don't think that here in Exhibit C, um, in terms of the relocation and timeframes, actually really cover the needs of the tenants. So. Um, I would like to see more of that kind of specific. And I think from our last informational hearing, I think that was kind of like the overall um, atmosphere by the commission is that, you know, we want to make sure that the project actually responds to the needs of the t existing tenants. So. Thank you, Commissioner Imperial. Commissioner Moore? This, this project is so complicated that we should have two different hearings. One deals with the human side, what happened here. And that could take 24 hours and we would not get to any form of real doing justice to what's happened here. And the other one is a very technical, practical discussion about the building itself. Let me first give my kudos to the planning department. The project applicant has been told more than 10 months ago to engage in drafting Exhibit C, which is the tenant relocation plan. And I actually talked with that, uh, about that with a supervisor. He said, yes, it was last April when that particularly was spelled out as one of the most important connecting pieces to get really our feet on the ground with what happened here. That is more than 10 months. And I'm looking here over the counter to looking at Mr. Patterson. Mr. Patterson represents clients uh, in, in many, many uh, cases here and seems to mostly on the ball, kind of aggressively representing his clients. And I'm wondering what happened here. I don't need an answer. I just like to have that stand in the room. Then we go to the hardship by hearing that a building that was designed for 10 units actually occupies now 30 units. That has reduced itself magically to 17 occupied units. Today it's 16. Perhaps tomorrow it's 15 as we, for, as we go forward. So that was known, excuse me, that was known in 2017 when people were still, people were still moving in. On the building side, 
weighing with exactly what uh, Commissioner Carpel said, that building could have been condemned at that time. Uh, I have a picture, and I think it was done shot in 2019 or 2020, where there was scaffolding behind the building because uh, the fire exiting wasn't working. There was a second possibility to condemn the building, and nothing has happened. My question to the tenant attorney is, how will you be dealing with a severe reduction in numbers when you have more people qualifying for the few units that are there? Will you have a lottery? How will you decide? Will you let, let the people who live on the second floor go because I can't go to the third floor anyway? How, what, what human criteria are we going to use to answer those very, very basic questions of fairness? We all know that Section 8 is almost impossible to accommodate in this town. We all know that. Uh, we hear that every day when it comes to homelessness and people having vouchers and telling people we can't find anything because nobody will take us. There's like a discrimination against Section 8. So that's number one. Uh, so unit numbers are numbers of people that need to be equitably having a shot at getting a unit. The second thing is, how are you going to be dealing with rent? The units that are currently occupied are half of the size of what those few units uh, uh, we have that will be there in the future. So normally when you move from a smaller unit into a larger unit, there is like basically you pay per square foot. That's typically the way it's done. We don't have amenities. There is no open space really to talk about. So you basically simply play for the square footage. Are we negotiating anything in our tenant displacement agreement or relocation agreement about future rents if people will move back in? If they're already paying $3,000 now, some of them talked about having been taken for $5,000, is this going to be a $10,000 unit? Uh, these are all questions that I personally, uh, agreeing with uh, Commissioner Imperial, I would have expected to be touched on in the relocation agreement. Relocation is only the moment of when construction occurs and people temporarily be put either here or there everywhere. Ultimately, it is what is the net total when this building is restored to be a functioning building and who will live there? It does not seem to me when I take the mathematics of numbers of people displaced and potential increases in rent that any of these people will ever live there. And that is the most disturbing fact to me in addition to everything that Commissioner Carpel said. Uh, I have one quick question for staff, and that is Ms. Durndach. Um, uh, you made a comment saying, um, by looking at this project, we are asked to basically approve the previously uh, approved architectural design of this project. Correct. And that is not what is in this package. We have seen the previous plan, we have seen an adjusted plan, and we have seen of what we are supposed to prove. And the as-built plan, the wrong plan, is basically still the basis of what we're being asked to, be approved, to approve, simply only by removing one kitchen, leaving the other kitchen in the wrong place leaves everything open to repeat of what is in front of us today. So uh, I would like you to clarify for me mm -hmm. 
When you say approved previous architectural design, what do you mean by that? Um, I was referring to the exterior of the building. The original approval had um, architectural features that were not actually built. So the exterior of the building is being brought up to a higher standard than what they um, you know, built there today. Uh, I, and, think, I think that is a noble thing to do. I'm more interested in the quality of unit mm -hmm. and in a unit that really completely and totally builds of what was approved and what is shown here as a proposed mm -hmm. uh, units are not at all approvable from my perspective mm -hmm. because they are inviting to repeat the same mistake of what was done before. Yes, and in the red line version that I distributed today, we've added that. They go I back to that. the original kitchen layout. It's, it's the, a condition yeah. of approval number eight in the yeah. updated motion to um, move the kitchen closer to the front of the flats so that there isn't the plausibility of leveraging that plumbing to do the same thing all over again. Yeah. This is about half the amount of what I have heard on this project over the last few years. You can probably all see that's almost like a New York telephone book. Uh, so I could not, given that we got today, jump on all of those things. It's just yeah. too much going on. No, no worries. Leave, a lot, uh, leave, leave alone my really serious disappointment about that your draft has been basically rebutted. That is absolutely stunning to me. So I leave it with that. And at this moment, uh, I think this project has too many unanswered questions unfortunately, continuing to put our tenants in continued jeopardy. Thank you. Commissioner Diamond. Um, so like Commissioner Moore, I think about this, uh, the changes to this project in two buckets. One is um, what we do about the building itself um, and how to get it to a form that's livable, as Commissioner Coppola said. And the other bucket is what do we do about the tenants? Um, and what our role as planning commission and planning department is and our desire also, even if it's not our role, not to leave these poor people hanging, um, which is what it feels like right now. Um, it feels, you know, they're in a horrible situation, not of their own making, um, and it can feel like a runaround to them when we have different departments pointing to each different departments and nobody standing up and saying, we are the department that will oversee, you know, all parts of this solution. <coughs> so let me put my comments into those two buckets, one of which I know that we as a planning department can and must do something about, and then I have another bunch of questions around the tenant issues and how we get comfortable about who's taking responsibility and when those issues will be worked out and what, you know, as a planning department, we can do or should do, uh, if that's okay. So the first one is, um, so the relocation plan, I think, um, is a really great first effort at trying to think through how you get a building that's got uh, tenants living in it um, redone in a sensible manner, where you're emptying out one building in order to allow it to be, you know, fully um, renovated and then doing the next building and trying to keep as many tenants in place as, for as long as you possibly can. So I really appreciate the thought that went into that and the changes that you made today, I think, that you showed us today in the red line. I go a long way to alleviating some of my concerns, uh, broadening the category of uses that can be on the second floor so we don't end up with an empty second floor, which I think would be a terrible result. It feels like the new language that you've put in 
allows for more non-residential uses to go in there. So I thought that was a really good change. Um, I also was pretty unhappy with the floor plans. It felt like um, the floor plans didn't make sense um, and that it was essentially trying to use what had been built as opposed to coming up with a sensible floor plan. And like Commissioner Boer indicated, would lend itself to being um, illegally subdivided um, in the future. So I think that you're moving in the right direction on the floor plans. I don't know if we're there yet, but it feels like it's moving in the right direction. But what worries me the most about the plan that seems like it's moving the right way is what do we do about a developer who may not do anything? I mean, you have a plan, we have this, you know, what is the leverage? What is the enforceability? You know, what happens if they do nothing? I mean, Mr. Um, Patterson is here, but as the tenants pointed out, the landlord isn't, you know, the landlord has been completely non-responsive, as I understand. Um, so how do we have any sense of comfort that this is going to happen at all and that we don't just have tenants continuing to live in a building um, that may have all kinds of you know, violations associated with it? So it's as much a question, I think, for staff as it is for the city attorney's office, which is what's our enforcement power and what if they don't do anything? Sure. I would say the, the short answer is it's the last line of the first paragraph on the tenant um, plan on Exhibit C, which says failure to meet this timeline effectively um, subjects this project to immediate enforcement actions under the planning code, section 176. Um, so our intent is that if these timelines are not met, we will go straight to notices of violation. Um, and that leads to penalties being accrued. And ultimately, as with any normal enforcement case also, it can lead to city attorney referral um, and subsequent litigation. Um, as you guys recently also heard, there's new fee and penalty legislation that Supervisor Ronan's office was, mm -hmm. uh, was sponsoring. Um, that is another tool in our toolkit when that becomes effective. Um, that can also be leveraged through the typical uh, enforcement process. Like it's a little more, um, uh, higher value penalties available to us candidly um, for non-compliance. So those are sort of the, um, the typical enforcement mechanisms that we would have. And the reason we put this provision in there is we don't wanna give a notice of enforcement, notice of complaint, which are kind of our normal warnings for normal um, enforcement related items, we're going straight to notice a violation, which is when penalties begin accruing. Um, so that's what the intent is on this for failure for non-compliance. But I think um, I'll, I'll defer to the city attorney on if we get to an escalated state of, you know, um, penalties accruing and they're still not doing anything, then what? Um, and that would really fall into the city attorney's office. So b before um, Ms. Jensen answers that, I noticed there are no dates in here, like when things have to happen. And like the first thing is, you know, proceed with due diligence to submit your plans, that kind of thing. What does that mean? Is there a drop dead date by which if they haven't taken mm -hmm. action that we will do something? It feels very fuzzy without you know, time-specific deadlines. So the, the reason there aren't specific dates is we don't have a specific date by which the permits will be approved by all of the city agencies. So after it concludes at planning, we'll sign off on the plans and they'll go to the building department, fire department, et cetera. Um, and that's the bit of the unknown of how long it will take to get through that review timeframe. Um, at that milestone, as soon as the city does approve it, whatever date that becomes, we would then be able to map out date-specific milestones thereafter. Um, and so, you know, part of our intent would be to do that and to develop very date-specific um, requirements and 
have a tracker that associates uh, to those dates as soon as it's approved. But the approval date is the one that can vary by a few weeks depending on city agency staffing, comments back and forth. Um, but I hear you. I mean, part, part of the requirement is if the building department, for example, sends a plan check letter, um, the sponsor will be required to diligently respond to that within a certain time frame. We do typically put, um, and uh, Neville Pereira from the Department of Building Inspection Plan, Plan Inspection Services is here as well. So he oversees the folks who do the plan review function. Um, I know certainly in the planning department, we put um, a standard comment saying sponsors have to respond within you know, typically 30 days to our comments. I would presume the building department has similar expectations. So. Those are the, the, that back and forth dialogue though is anticipated that that will happen throughout the permitting process to make sure again, that they're following all current codes. Just remind me, cause I can't find it quickly in here. Did you tie actions to specific numbers of days after the building department signs off? Yes. Okay, so there is time, once that happens, then there are time limitations in here for when actions need to take place, like within seven days, within 30 exactly. days. Exactly. From the, from the date the permits are issued, they have to pull, so pay for the permit and request issuance of the permit within one week, within seven days. On that day, they must request an inspection, an, a pre-construction pre inspection from DBI. They will then have three months from the pre-inspection date to build the first building, when the CFC is issued, then there are very specific time frames that trigger off of that for the next few buildings. Okay. So then I, I turn to the city attorney, which is, all right, what if they don't do anything? I mean, their track record's pretty pathetic. So what happens if they continue to dull? That's an especially fair question in the context that we're dealing with here. So our ability to enforce under the current circumstances is somewhat limited. That's because we've already taken an enforcement action that resulted in a settlement that is backward looking. So we have settled for their past violations and the remedy moving forward was to come to this body and get a conditional use approving a corrective project. That's what we're here for now. Once this body approves something, some kind of conditional use, then we have additional tools available to us, and by us I mean the larger city family. So that's both the planning department and the city attorney's office. First of all, as the commission knows, when you adopt a conditional use authorization, you do so with conditions. Those conditions then become a part effectively of the planning code and a violation of a condition of a conditional use is a violation of the planning code, which triggers the ability of the department to issue notices of violation. It also triggers the ability of the city attorney's office to take enforcement actions if we want to. In addition, if they violated the terms of the conditional use authorization, the city attorney's office could contemplate an enforcement action either for violation of the conditional use or for a business uh, and uh, a BNP code uh, 17200 unfair business practices lawsuit. So any violation of a municipal, municipal code which benefits a building owner like this could be a 17200 claim. Right now, the only tool we have um, for bringing, say, another lawsuit would be their violation of the existing settlement agreement. So arguably, if they failed to comply with the rent ordinance or an order of the rent board, 
that would be a violation of the law that is part of what they're required to do under the settlement agreement. But that's a pretty limited tool. So really what we need, again, we the larger city family need to increase our tool belt of enforcement mechanisms here is for some kind of an approval here. But I do want to be very careful to make it clear that the rent issues and the relocation issues must be resolved by the rent board, not by the planning commission. That's not under the purview of this commission. So one thing that could happen, however, because I hear what all of you commissions or commissioners are saying, which is that these issues are you know, indelibly intertwined, is the commission could say, um, it, as part of the sequencing, the construction sequencing of this project, could require the project sponsor to come back for a look back uh, and report on the status of their work with the rent board on resolving relocation or buyouts with the tenants. There are ways that we could work through this Exhibit C, and you will note that our um, isn't a lawyer but plays one on TV staffer, Ms. Wadi here, did very carefully reference the rent board in multiple places in Exhibit C because it is contemplated that, they would, that we will be working with them to resolve these rent and relocation issues. But we could beef that language up in Exhibit C, yeah. and then we could create some kind of a look back, uh, you know, a, a revisit to the commission for a check-in to make sure that they're in compliance. So that's... Uh, sort of a long-winded okay. answer. No, 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 extremely helpful, and I appreciate it. Um, I wonder if the attorney for the tenants who spoke first could come up. I have a, several questions for you. I'm sorry, I don't recall your name. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Um, so in your comments at the beginning, you made sort of a general plea for help from us, um, and we're trying to figure out how to accommodate that. Um, have you had a chance to look at Exhibit C? Not in detail, um, but I did, in terms of the relocation plans, mm -hmm. I did see that. My goal at this point is to continue to meet with all the tenants. If um, I know Mr. Patterson very well. He's a very competent attorney. Um, maybe engage him in conversation as well as talk with this body to see um, if it's possible to broker something that would work for everybody. Um, because I know it's a, obviously a quagmire you're all dealing with, and I appreciate all the time and attention. So I've looked at it briefly, and I'd be glad to, um, I'm going to be spending more time on it and talking with the tenants, see what would work for everybody based on their varying circumstances. Okay. Um, do we stay there for a moment? Sure. Do we have anybody from the rent board here? We should have folks online from the rent board. Is that right, Kimberly? Jonas, can you? If anyone online is from the rent board, if you could raise your hand, that'd be Would, great. Do we have a name? Because there's no one there's, uh, outside of staff that has been. I see her, Eric and a Eunice and a bunch of callers. Eunice? Eric Yao, Justin Zucker? If, if not, I think we can. Okay. We might have to come back to, we can obviously have your questions, but maybe we don't have anybody here from the okay. rent board, it looks like. Uh, I am listening and hearing what the city attorney has said, which is, you know, what's the scope of our purview? Um, and 
if we are not the right department to deal with the rent board, you know, with the rent issues, um, we don't have the expertise, we can't resolve them, it's hard for us to draft conditions of approval. Um, I at least would like some confidence that all the issues we raised are going to be addressed by the rent board. I have many of the same questions as Commissioner Moore. The space is going to be twice as large. Does the rent go up by twice as much? Do they have to offer the same amount of, you know, uh, is it the same price? Um, what's the What's the time frame for resolving the relocation issues? Um, the list, do they have any obligation to keep paying rent um, given the current situation? Do they have any right uh, or entitlement to uh, repayment of some of the rent they've already paid given all the violations that occurred? And I just would like some confidence that these are all issues um, that are within the purview of the rent board and can and will be handled by the rent board on a time frame that works with um, Exhibit C. Uh, Ms. Wadi, I think you told me earlier this week that the rent board staff has reviewed Exhibit C. Is that correct? The, um, the city attorney's office rent board attorney, attorney has reviewed it. Yes. Well, I would feel a lot better um, if... Um, I, as I said, I think it's moving in the right direction. I really like the suggestion of check-ins, you know, uh, um, a check-in back here at the appropriate point to make sure that the rent issues are being addressed by the rent board. But I would feel more comfortable approving this if I knew that the tenant's attorney had taken a look at this and had an opportunity to give you any comments on it and that um, rent board staff was available to answer our questions so we could all get comfortable that this is being taken care of and that the um, tenants had the opportunity to meet again um, and come back to us with any more collective comments that they might have now that they understand what our role is and what the rent board's role is. So I feel like from my perspective, this is... Uh, moving along in the right direction, I hear the urgency of the need to get a conditional use permit issued so that you have additional enforcement tools so we can get going on this. Um, and I, you know, in general, like to never have continuances, but I feel like given um, where we are, that another week or two in order to allow um, input from tenants' right attorney um, and an opportunity for the rent board to come back here at the next hearing before we finally approve this and have them say, yes, these are the issues. We will be dealing with them. Here, here is where in the timeline we address them. Here is when it would be a good time for you to impose a condition saying report back. Um, that would make me feel a lot more comfortable in approving yeah. this. So that's the general nature of my comments. I want to respond to Commissioner Diamond's thoughts because they're definitely aligned with my own, and I, w I would maybe put it just a little more strongly at, in terms of I understand that we are one body and the rent board is another. I, I really need this document, though, to include the breadth of what the city can do. And so even though it's what, what our part to enforce, that's one thing. But saying here's the breadth of the policy and legal and like city landscape, to me that seems fair to have that in the relocation plan, even if another body is the one who's implementing it. Just like we approve things and it goes to DBI. We approve all kinds of things. They then go on to someone else to be the next body. But it doesn't mean we can't consider issues related to or understand kind of the scope. So I really need this to be very, very robust. We needed to get it translated so people can understand understand 
what they're reading, what are we saying, what are the timelines. I mean, this is like really people's life, right? This is the place that they live, that we are saying at some point in the future, you may have to, no, not you may, you will need to move out of it. If you are still there when construction begins on your building, you will need to move out. We need to make sure that it's crystal clear, and I just need to understand exactly what's happening. And in particular, there's a myriad of, of laws, not only our rent ordinance, but also state laws that have right to return at certain amounts, at certain conditions, if you have this income, if you have that. There's so much variety, and even though I don't need to know that for each household because that's their personal information, what I need to understand and we need to be able to explain to people is what is the landscape available to them in addition to the diligence and sequencing. And I would further say, I mean, I'm open to suggestions from staff and, and other commissioners on what cooperation looks like. Because again, the, the applicant did not provide this. Yeah. They actually did not comply with the terms of the settlement because they did not provide something that was required as part of this. And so in my opinion, they're already out of compliance with the settlement agreement. I don't know what it looks like for us to create this plan and then they have to implement it. They've had actually no stake in it other than you know continuing to dink along and not do anything and have this building sit there and not being addressed. So I'm a little concerned that even if we put this great plan together, you know, what happens to it? And then it goes on to for however many years um, to DBI, not because of DBI, but because the applicant could continue to drag their feet in not getting the permits pursued diligently. So I'm going to let some other commissioners talk, but I, I do want to come back to that. And Mr. Pereira will be asking you about what DBI can do once this gets to your shop to make sure things are done quickly. For now, we'll go to Commissioner Braun, Imperial, and then to Commissioner Ruiz. I, first of all, I just want to say I find the whole situation that has been created to be absolutely heartbreaking um, for all the tenants. And thank you for coming here to speak today. Um, I don't have a whole lot more comments besides those that have already been stated, and I'm in full agreement with pretty much everything that my fellow commissioners have said here today. Um, I, when it comes to the, I had a lot of concerns about the enforceability of the tenant location agreement as well, just given all the factors that have been raised here. And at the end of the day, there are still going to be, depending on how we're counting at this point, you know, five six, five, four, five tenants that, that will not be able to return to this building um, because there will be fewer units uh, in, in this overall project. And so I'd like to also understand what are the options for those tenants? You know, I'd, I'd like to, to hear back. I mean, do they just get a buyout and that's that? Or is there more support? And so whatever happens, it sounds like we're moving towards a continuance to get a better handle uh, and to better disseminate the the tenant plan and i'm hoping that i can better understand that part of it too sort of what happens to the folks who can't come back to the building as well and how can we support them um, but that's that's really all i have to say thank, thank you. you commissioner braun commissioner imperial yeah um i do have a question to the tenants um, lawyer um in terms of the um because there were some comments about the compensation or again um for tenants who have been living there um, and just wondering, because at, at the same time, as far as I know, rent board ordinance has also limitations as well. Has what? Um, you said limitations? Um, uh, as far as I know, rent board has also its own limitations, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to the back rent. Right. Um, and again, I'm not sure how long you've been working with the tenants, but in terms of like, again, the effects of the, let's say habitability issues because of these units. Um, I don't know if there are any health issues, effects as well to the tenants themselves. 
Um, so I guess that I guess going to President Tanner's um, um, question as well into cooperation because here at the Planning Commission or the Planning Department can only reference to the rent board. Um, however, if the tenants' demands are more than what probably, then I, I'm yeah I'm trying to figure out as well as to what what's really going to happen for the tenants. And I'm also, um, again, um, I'm echoing what President Tenor um, saying to is that I also would like to see the full breadth, including MoCD on it, including San Francisco Housing Authority in it, like the best that we, the city can do. So I guess that's my question to you as a tenants' right lawyer is really to figure out what is the tenants' demand and their rights and, you know, how can we also learn, I mean, know about this and Again, these are going to be, I think there's going to be multi-agency type kind of work, and yeah. Sure. My plan is to immediately itemize the items so that you'll all know exactly what's being considered, which is also what some of the items the rent board would consider, and then also talk with Mr. Patterson about it to see, A, are they open to any voluntary agreements? And I'm going to do it immediately so that you'll have more comfort in knowing that at least from the tenant's perspective, A, it's moving forward, B, um, you'll know what the issues that they're facing, you know, A, the back rent, B, rent going forward, is that going to be mm -hmm. um, stayed or voluntarily forgiven pending all of these plans and uh, relocation. So, and then I'll also include legal authority um, and I can, I'll talk to the city attorney's office who does a great job as well. And so that way you'll have akin to a brief from me as to these items so that at least you'll have um, more information that will assist hopefully in the process. Yeah, will be great. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And who should I communicate with? Uh, probably the secretary to okay. provide briefs. If you're going to be providing information, then okay. you can provide it to all of the yeah. commissioners. Please. Okay. And to the planner, Kimberly Durande, okay. please. Thanks. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Ruiz. Thank you. This is a really robust conversation. So many of my questions were already answered by my fellow commissioners. Um, and staff, but I just wholeheartedly agree that, you know, we need to prioritize the tenants. We need a plan that's spelled out. Just simply saying abiding by the SF rent control ordinance is just not enough for me. I'm not an expert in the rent control ordinance, and I'm, you know, I think it would be helpful for the tenants as well to know what exactly they are entitled to. And we really need to tackle this in a collaborative manner and include everyone who needs to be at the table, most importantly, the tenants. And we need to hear the unique circumstances of all of the tenants that reside in the building and what their needs are. So that's incorporated in a plan going forward. Um, so that's really the most of my comments, but I have two questions and I'm sad that there's no one here from the rent board because I don't know if anyone can answer this. Um, but I was just alarmed to hear the rate of rent that some of the tenants are paying. Like that's incredibly expensive to live in a unit that's not code compliant. So can the project sponsor confirm are the 16 um, occupied units still paying rent? Uh, Commissioner Ryan Patterson for the project sponsor. To the best of my knowledge, they are, but I don't have firsthand knowledge of that at this time. 
Uh, and I, so, I would note these are not rent-controlled units. These are market rate units. Thank you. Thank you. I just, and I don't know who's going to be able to answer this for me, but are we obligated to enforce tenants to continue to pay rent for units that are not up to code? For some reason, I thought there were some protections in the rent ordinance, but as I said, I'm not an expert. I don't know if the city attorney could answer that or if planning staff. Everyone's looking at each other in the chamber. <laughs> Can you approach the microphone, sir? That's great. We're going to have the um, tenant's rights attorney, Mark. What's your last name? I'm sorry. Hushman. Uh, There's a, a state law, Civil Code 1942.4, that talks about when an existing violation of a government entity exists for more than 35 days and that affects life and safety. There's no obligation to pay rent. And there's also associated damages and such. So that's something I'm, without waiving attorney-client privilege, I'm going to talk with all the tenants about that, specifically that issue. And I'll talk with Mr. Patterson, who um, is very knowledgeable on that code section as well. So. Um, and then I'll also include that in the brief for you. Anything like that, feel free, contact me. I'd be glad to assist. Great, thank you. Did you have any other questions? Um, Commissioner Rees, maybe while he's near the microphone. Um, yes, I do. And maybe for Alicia as well from HRC, just wanting to gauge how they both feel about a possible continuance. And if, I mean, I, I understand the urgency of the issue, but is two weeks enough time to really develop a comprehensive plan that's going to protect the tenants. I just want to make sure that that's something that they are comfortable with on behalf of the tenants residing in the building. Um, Alicia is saying it may not be enough time, My, in, but I know how urgent it is to move this forward. So if you wanted to say two or three weeks, but then I'll, we'll try to update as soon as possible so that you'll have more information. Um, ultimately, it also depend on the uh, project sponsor in terms of their plan. So um, we'll defer to you all in terms of, because I know how much time you spent on it already. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, sorry, Commissioner Reese, do you have more questions? I don't want to jump in on the continuance timeframe. No more, no more questions, just to say that I'm incredibly torn because I'm just, you know, I'm concerned that two weeks is not, is not enough time but there's life and safety issues for the tenants. Um, and there's just so many unanswered questions that I think I need to know more of to, to be supportive of any type of approval of the project. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll let you check in, President. I would agree with that. Um, before I go to you, Commissioner Moore, just a couple questions. One for Mr. Pereira from the Department of Building Inspection. I just, you know, one of the things that would happen and under this current proposal is that then they're going to go through to pursue their building permits to actually begin the construction work and um, again given the length of time that has elapsed since we settled and they were on this path I'm just very concerned that it's going to be another two three four five six years um, of ongoing non-compliance so like what can your department do within the bounds of our our laws to have quicker compliance quicker turnaround, like when you guys give comments that they, maybe can we shorten it from 30 days to less than 30 days? And is there a way when it gets to some level of, when we're on revision cycle like five, we say like, okay, this is too much. Like what tools are at your disposal? Okay, um, good afternoon. Neville Pereira, Department of Building Inspection. Um, regrettably, the, the building code, including the San Francisco building code, doesn't have 
um, those enforcement tools uh, in our current process. We would use whatever was set out uh, in the planning document um, to to uh, to guide people to, to respond quickly. Uh, however, we have nothing in our in our building code to allow uh, to force us. To, to force the applicant to come back to us in a specified amount of time. Okay. And is there, you know, maybe that's something that we could say from our approval, then an overall time limit from X until, you know, pulling the building permit. And then would the ZA could work with you if there are staffing issues that come up where it is the city's fault that we're not able to respond quickly enough that we could extend that time, but set out a time frame. And then I think with that, you know, can your department kind of, put this at the top of the priority list in terms of you know when these permits or the, the plans do come in that you all can, I know there's many, many permits that are on uh, various desks, but could this be prioritized to get reviewed quickly? Certainly, we okay. would do that. Okay, thank you very much um, for that. I, I think where I would say commissioners is, you know, I would say, I hate to say a month continuance, but I, I do think there's quite a lot of work that we heard is gonna go on with the attorneys, with our staff, with the city family, um, I think, so I would want to see a very, very robust tenant plan, and I, I think the city staff have heard what we want. I, what's more concerning, and I'm still scratching my head over, is I don't know if the applicant has heard what we want, and so I don't really know if, if we're just really taking on crafting this plan and saying, thou shalt do it, you lost your chance to create it yourself, and this is what we're doing. Obviously, we'll confer with them, but I mean, it's really like, give us your comments on our ideas. Um, so open to any ideas there. I do want to see more, um, perhaps a timeline around when they need to f get their building permit, not just pull, pulling it after it's approved, but a certain timeline uh, to Mr. Pereira's point. I don't want this to go from us and then just like, well, they just still haven't pulled their permits. Oh, they still haven't like responded to the comments. We need some, some strictness there of like an overall kind of time frame that we're expecting things to happen that we can bring them back in here if they're not complying with it. I also want to see a looking at the monitoring after entitlement, a little bit more robustness about how exactly uh, our department will play a role um, in kind of helping to coordinate um, other city agencies, working with other folks, with the tenants, et cetera, um, as well as, you know, again, translating things so that folks can understand it in their native language at least a little bit better, all the things that are happening. So I would invite commissioners, if we do have a continuance, to also make sure if there's something you want to see here that you let staff know so when it does come back, hopefully we can take action at that time. And I'll call on Commissioner Moore. I have a question for uh, Deputy City Attorney Jensen. Uh, the question is, uh, as I originally recall, way back when there was an applicant with a single name, now I see five names and a family trust. Who are we really talking to? There are five different owners and a family trust. That could be another five or 10 people. Is there really anybody who can be put on the spot to respond to questions because in, in as far as we know, our rules of engagement living here in this country, you get to ask a question, you answer that question. And I seem to be a kind of like lost in translation, uh, something which isn't quite working. Uh, when you had your um, dispute uh, with the uh, applicant, were you talking to one party or who were you talking to? Actually, I was not the city attorney that handled this case, but the city attorney who handled it is in the room. So if we could call her to the mic, maybe she could help us Perhaps out. she could help us and because I think there is some, somehow we're speaking to something where we're not really talking to a particular identified entity. <laughs> so if you uh, could come up to the mic. This is my colleague, Deputy City Attorney Megan Ryan. 
Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, yes, uh, Commissioner Moore, all of the owners, so all, I believe there are five of them without having the settlement agreement in front of me right now, are all parties to the settlement agreement. And my understanding is that Mr. Patterson represents all of them. Uh, second part of my question. Uh, at this moment, it's about credibility that what we are saying indeed has resonance somewhere. Um, has the settlement agreement been paid? Is there actually money that has been exchanged that there's credibility that that first settlement indeed was taken seriously? Yes, Commissioner Moore. The settlement agreement, uh, the full 1.2 million has been paid in full. Okay. Um, and what remains, of course, is the piece of the requirement to promptly comply with all deadlines set by city agencies. So again, I think as my colleague um, Deputy City Attorney Jensen explained the, the more city agencies in this commission are able to give concrete instructions and deadlines, um, the more uh, we'll be able to proceed with enforcement if they are not complied with. Well, the first dip we had is indeed with Exhibit C. That would be the first non-performance, which is critical, as you heard now for the last uh, two and a half hours, to this commission, and it's a big stepping stone because ultimately these type of transactions are about trust. And at this moment there seemed to be a void to fully understand who, who's talking to whom and who's obeying whom. Uh, so uh, I, I would like to see that you perhaps help us understand to get our message through because at the moment uh, I think we don't have anything yet to get our, uh, our arms around. Uh, I agree with uh, President Tanner and her requests and perhaps we need another week or two working one more time through what's in front of us today to formulate a couple of extra concise sentences of what we would be asking for. Thank you. So, uh, see Commissioner Diamond, and maybe we're moving towards what we're going to do. Um, before making a motion to continue, I have a couple questions for Mr. Patterson. So my preference would have been to ask these questions to your client, but no choice because uh, your client isn't here. Um, can you confirm you all are representing all parties to the settlement agreement? Okay. Yes, I represent all of the owners. All right. Are you able to get us your client's comments on Exhibit C by the time frame we set, which is somewhere between two and four weeks from now? That's what's on the table. I think that is enough time to do that. I am out on March 2nd, but otherwise I'm available. Um, I will say it is very helpful to have the draft of Exhibit C from staff, which we received yesterday. Uh, that gives us a starting point to know what the city had in mind, which uh, I, for my own part, I was not clear on what uh, the city was looking for. Um, so I think there was some confusion on the client side, on the owner side about that. So I will go back to the client group, the owner group, and express to them your uh, very strenuous uh, demand for this document to be reworked and have their input and their commitment um, and work with them and work with staff in the city attorney's office uh, to try to find something that is workable. Um, will you commit to meet with the tenant's rights attorney um, within the next two weeks? I'm happy to meet with Mr. Mr. Hushman. I, yes. This is my first time learning that he's involved. I'm not sure who he represents. Mm -hmm. uh, and likewise, I am not a landlord-tenant attorney myself. I'm on the land use side. Mm -hmm. But I am happy to meet with him and, if necessary, 
we'll bring in colleagues to assist with the landlord-tenant side. I, I think that would be important because as you've heard from all of the commissioners, well, we may not be the rent board. We have a lot of interest in understanding how the tenants are going to be um, uh, addressed with in a very fair manner, uh, given that this is through no fault of their own and that it wouldn't be okay to come back in a month and say we don't know anything about that, that, that issues about how we work those tenants' concerns into the document um, is really critical so that we don't end up a month from now and still have um, nothing that's uh, plausible. Uh, and I'm worried about that. So um, it seems to me important that all of the parties are meeting with each other during this month, uh, including your clients, um, and are providing feedback to um, the planning department staff and the city attorney's office so that when we get together next time, we have a document that at least has had your input and is in a better position for us to approve it at that point and have some semblance um, of hope um, that they will adhere to the schedule and not hear from you at that point that the schedule is totally unacceptable. So with that, I would move to continue for one month. Second. Commissioners, uh, I am getting nudges that March 30th uh, would be the preferred date for staff. I believe give, just given the amount of information and coordination that needs to occur, um, it's a little further out than, than one month, but um, that's entirely up to you. One month would put it closer to March 16th. But um, again, I believe staff is requesting March 30th. Uh, well, the reason I said a month is because of the city attorney's um, uh, insistence that um, until we get a CUP, we've got nothing to enforce. Um, so I'm quite concerned about going out six weeks. Um, I, I, I share that. I think a month, you know, staff, I know it's tough, but like I would prefer to bring us what you can by then. And if we need more, then that's fine. But I don't want to push it to six weeks and then need more. Um, I, I think a month is, is, is sufficient. Director Hillis, is there any comment? I mean, that's fine. We, just so you know, we've got to do the report a week before that month, so a month's really three weeks. So I think we're just trying to buy a little time, but I get it. We'll move as Well, you can always send can. us an update like you did Exhibit C yesterday, yes. so, mm -hmm. you know. Well, we can get with. I also want to point out the Conservatory of Music, which is down the street, which some of us were on the commission, including myself, when we heard it had complicated tenant issues, right? A building was demoed, a new building was built, tenants relocated in the interim. The rents, when they returned, were determined through an agreement. I mean, I'd ask Mr. Patterson and others to look at that document. In, you know, some of that's captured in what we did, but a lot of it has to relate to the tenants that I think you've asked to see. And I think that's the kind of detail we would hope to get to. I would say I would agree with that. Yeah. Very good, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to continue this matter to March 16th, with I think very clear direction to all parties involved. On that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Uh, aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. I'd like to thank the interpreters for staying yes, a little bit past the 5 o'clock hour. Thank you. We're going to take a five-minute break again. Very good. <laughs>
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay. Thank you, SFGov. Uh, welcome back to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. Commissioners, we left off uh, on the last item on your agenda today under your discretionary review calendar, number 13, case number 2022-004943DRP for the property at 1304 Valencia Street. This is a discretionary review. And good evening, Commissioners. David Winslow, Staff Architect. The item before you is a public initiated request for discretionary review of uh, building permit number 2022-0420.2645 to construct a third story vertical addition and a two story horizontal rear addition to add a dwelling unit to an existing two, two story, two dwelling over ground level commercial building. The existing building is a category C, no historic resource, built in 1900. The DR requester, Seth Andrzejewski, thank you very much, of 1310 Valencia Street, the uh, neighbor to the south of the project is concerned that it will cause unreasonable impacts to security and privacy. His proposed alternatives are to eliminate the mezzanine level roof deck and or provide a non-transparent eight-foot-high security fence at the property line. Uh, and then second, to eliminate the third floor um, rear, which is the west balcony, or construct an eight-foot-high wall blocking views facing into his property. To date, the department has received no letters supporting nor letters opposing the project. Staff supports the proposed addition as it complies with the, both the planning code and the urban design guidelines. The massing of the addition at the rear and sides is articulated to ensure reasonable access to light, air, and privacy. Therefore, staff deems there are no exceptional or extraordinary circumstances and recommends not taking discretionary review. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Winslow. DR requester, you have a five-minute presentation. Good afternoon. Thank you to the commission for staying so late and um, for hearing our case and our request for discretionary review. Uh, my name is Seth Andrzejewski, and this is uh, Nathaniel Klinger, and we live on the uh, residence uh, immediately south of the uh, proposed building at um, 1304 Valencia. Um, I do have a few slides that I'll put on the overhead to just demonstrate uh, some of the the main points that I want to uh, highlight. Um, first, just as an introduction, um, uh, in October of 2021, there was a fire at the uh, premises, uh, and Nathaniel and I um, uh, will remember that um, all of our lives. We uh, took a garden hose uh, to make sure that no flames uh, crossed over to our property um, before the fire department got there. And um, in the immediate aftermath, there were two residents that were displaced. Um, we also um, helped them in the immediate aftermath. We sheltered them. Um, got them um, hooded sweatshirts, um, you know, just made sure that their uh, needs were met. Um, we've been a good neighbor to um, the owner of the building, and we've uh, collaborated on many things. I've provided security camera footage uh, over his property when he had several break-ins. And, and so we actually share um, 
a vested interest in seeing this property rehabbed um, soon, um, you know, and restored to full working order. Um, and um, in fact, we don't have any opposition to the fact that there's a third, um, it's going from two dwelling units to thir three units, and we're happy about that. That's a 50% increase, and that provides for the housing um, of the property. Um, we have just very um, targeted um, concerns over the property that I hope um, this process will, will bear out and hear our concerns. So I will um, put them um, before you on the overhead projector. So you're seeing a rendering in the packet uh, um, for, for the project. Um, we, I'm gonna, we are in this unit right here. Um, specifically, we want to call out the uh, proposal for a mezzanine, which is on the top floor. It is um, this mezzanine right here. You can see from the rear view um, extends above the existing envelope in the height of the building. And um, specifically, it will have um, an active space of this front balcony, um, which is shown here um, by my finger. Um, we are concerned that this front balcony, as it's rendered, um, only provides like maybe a three-foot wall um, between our property and um, the 1304 property. Um, we're concerned about the active uses of this space, um, not necessarily by the immediate tenant, but future tenants um, with uh, noise and security. This is right above our bedrooms, basically, and so this represents a, um, a big departure for us from the uh, de facto uh, condition um, where the, the 1304 property is flush, basically flush with the roof of our property. And so um, we um, are in opposition to the, the mezzanine, but that would not, if the mezzanine was dropped, that would not get rid of the proposed third dwelling unit, um, but that would, of course, decrease the space of the proposed penthouse unit. Um, and then the second um, issue that we have is that there, in the rear of the building, there is a proposed third story um, deck, and I will slide that up. Okay, here we are. And um, that deck is um, proposed to have a view directly into our back windows, which currently do not have a view, sorry. Oh, sorry, push up. Yeah, can you, can you get that? And um, it currently will provide a 90 degree view directly into, um, into yeah, you go ahead and put that. Um, it will provide a 90 degree view directly into um, our back windows. This is the lower level kitchen, upper level bedroom, and the third floor balcony um, will extend beyond the rear wall and allow for view views like feet within you know our existing um, um, windows currently or the de facto or the current condition was this um, addition that I think is probably subcode or non-code compliant and the the building proposal actually proposes to envelop this full um, building envelope, whereas the original building envelope, you can see it's a few feet further in and flush with our building. And so that provides for better um, uh, privacy and security Thank um, you. for our unit. That's your time. Uh, you. you will have a two minute rebuttal, so. Okay. Okay, D, uh, excuse me, project sponsor, you have a five minute presentation.
Good afternoon, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Andrew Morrell, I'm the architect for the project, and uh, good afternoon, members of the audience. Uh, just a summary of the property. Our proposed project is within the NZ2 zoning district and 55X height and bulk district. The immediate area is characterized by dense residential apartment buildings varying from several stories up to four stories in height. Many of these buildings have ground floor retail facing 24th and Val Valencia Street, both busy retail and transportation corridors. All properties have zero lot lines with buildings directly abutting one another, all with having some views, if not direct views, into the adjacent property's rear yards. This is common of city lots, zero lot lines, and the density of the immediate area and the zoning district. Uh, the summary of our project, there, were, there was a recent fire at 1304, 1306 Valencia Street. Here are some of the, um, I'm just gonna just show you some of the images in its current state. Um, so there's the, The current state of the project is, is there. And uh, uh, so what we're proposing, we're proposing to completely gut and renovate the existing building with uh, new ground floor retail um, that will serve as Mr. Okamoto's place of business. Uh, a beauty salon and the existing two second floor rental apartment units will be completely, gut completely gutted, renovated, and fully expanded. Um, the renovated rental units at the rear will be expanded from a one bedroom, one bath, to a two bedroom, two bath unit. The newly added, added residential unit, the third story additional with roof decks leading out to required open space will be Mr. Okamoto's private residence. The open space that is being provided by the two proposed roof decks is required open space per the San Francisco Planning Code section 135 and specifically section 135B that states that access to open space shall be directly and immediately accessible to the, uh, to the unit. As a note, this is the same enjoyment uh, that Mr. Klinger and Mr. Um, the, the two unit that Mr. Klinger uh, currently has, um, and he has direct access to his open space. Um, just a brief uh, summary of the correspondence with Mr. Klinger and the adjacent neighbors. We made an effort to reach out to Mr. Klinger and had meetings with him well be before the required neighborhood outreach meeting. The concerns Mr. Klinger had expressed to us during these meetings uh, were regarding construction noise, and the last correspondence we had with Mr. Klinger prior to the DR hearing was Mr. Klinger making the request that we pay the rent for an offsite office for him during the duration of the project. I would like uh, now to directly address Mr. Klinger's uh, concerns of privacy. Um, so this, um, this is a, uh, just a site view of, of the project with, um, these are photograph markings of taken um, where the proposed front mezzanine uh, deck will be and also the, the rear mezzanine deck. So regarding privacy um, at, the, at the front mezzanine deck, uh, deck, this is the view taken at the front mezzanine deck, the front mezzanine proposed deck. We have, there's no physical way that we can look into Mr. Klinger's 1308 uh, or 1310's windows at the front. There's, there's physically no way we can do that. Uh, the other issue you brought up was about the um, about the skylights, those are the, those are the two skylights. There's physically no way that we can look into his skylights. Um, the issue at the rear deck, um, he he had issue with a. Uh, so so these are the two windows at the light well that he mentions in the back here, and that's the location of our proposed third story deck. There's no physical way that we can look into those windows. That's a view from looking from where we're proposing our third story deck. Um, 
this is, um, we're proposing um, there will be a 42 inch high uh, firewall and then also uh, a privacy screen of, of bamboo. That's that view with the bamboo. Here's the view looking um, into 1308 and 1310's balconies where they can look directly into our view. Here's that view with the, with the, with the, um, the bamboo privacy screen that's proposed. Um, there's the uh, building directly opposite that has windows looking directly into their rear yards. That's just common with zero lot lines and the density of the property. So here's uh, just another view where we have, that's the view that we have from looking, looking into their rear yards, which is very, very minimal. That's the view with, with the proposed uh, privacy screen. And so that, uh, I think that's the, the, that's your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. But as stated, you'll have a two-minute rebuttal as well. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you are not party to the DR requester or the project sponsor, uh, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. Okay, DR requester, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Sorry, did that person want to come to speak for, as a member of the public, or are you part of the project team, or are you a? Okay, you can speak during the rebuttal time period if you need to. Yes. Sorry, you can come. Uh, yeah, I, I did want to rebut um, the views that were presented. Um, the views really um, were from this, uh, the top of this roof deck here, which um, allowed for the perspective to be flush with the back edge of the wall. And the, the issue that we're bringing up is actually not with regards to the light wells or the skylights, but it is actually with regard to the rear windows um, because today we don't have um, any kind of um, you know privacy concern uh, with that. And so we're very targeted with our concern about the third floor rear um, roof deck that will extend beyond the building footprint and right up to this point and allow for like a, a 90 degree view into um, the rear of our uh, residence. And so um, that is our um, concern. Um, our, all, our other concern is that the proposal uses the building footprint for, this is basically a illegal addition that was put on decades ago. This is an accessory room, like a kind of like a porch, a screened in porch. And the proposal actually um, proposes to extend the building footprint all the way up to the, the rear wall. And so that rep represents a departure from the existing limits of the building. Um, as, as, I can, as I am pointing to here, you can see these uh, downspouts here kind of represent where the building um, ought to terminate today, but there was at some point this rear, um, you know, screened in porch that was um, added and the proposal actually adds all of that square footage to the rear, which extends again beyond our rear wall. Yeah. Okay, project sponsor, you have a two minute rebuttal. 
Sir, this would be your opportunity to speak if you would like it. Yes. Hello. Nice to meet you guys. We just. If you can speak a little closer to the microphone, that'll be helpful. Thank you. We just wanted to stay there and all my family. We are not planning on peeping, toming my neighbor. We would like to have nice relationship. And my architects actually created pretty decent way of blocking everything, but um, that's the argument. I really do not know, and I hope that we have good understanding to share the street and properties. Thank you. The architect needs it. You've still got another minute and counting. Uh, again, um, this is literally the view that we'll have. I mean, so I, I, I don't know what else we could do to mitigate the, any concerns of overview. We have no interest in looking into the windows. I mean, that's, that's not the intent. Um, and again, uh, you know, this is required private open space, you know, per the planning code. And um, so if you were to deny this, uh, I, I, you know, you'd be dying, denying just a, a normal enjoyment that everyone, most typical houses have in San Francisco. So thank you. Okay, if that concludes rebuttals. The DR is now before you, commissioners. Thank you. Commissioner Moore. I have a question for Mr. Winslow or Mr. Morrell as uh, designing architect. The uh, DR requester mentions an illegal, an illegal building over the front porch. That would be, I think, easy to clarify if you uh, could respond to that, please. Well, well, I can't attest to the actual construction, whether it was permitted or not, but this proposal is within the boundaries of the required um, you know, rear yard. It, it, it's the required rear yard of this district is 25% of the lot depth. The lot depth is 90 feet. That would yield a 22 foot six required rear yard. The dimension that I think you have on the floor plan is a little bit in excess of that. So this is code complying, a code complying footprint. Mr. Moel, do you have any response to that particular statement? First time you heard. We're within the planning code for the for the required rear yard. There's nothing that, that we're doing that would require a variance or, or conditional use or anything. So it's uh, just looking at the plans and uh, really seeing a thorough review by the department. I personally do not see anything exceptional, extraordinary, uh, in uh, zero lot line dense residential uh, uh, dense residential development. That that situation is very typical. Uh, uh, in the city for all and for each and all of us, uh, including myself, and I personally do not believe that we live in those environments to look into other people's windows. Uh, I find the particularly the bamboo screen very effective. They grow very well in the city and create a dense foliage by which you can't see literally anything. So uh, I would move uh, uh, to not take DR and approve the project as it's in front of us. Second. Seeing no further deliberation, commissioners, there is a motion that has been seconded to not take DR and approve the project as proposed. Commissioner Braun? 
Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. Okay, we are adjourned.